Hi, this is Steve. And John. And uh, this is Quixotic. <laughs> uh, we're back with another episode. <laughs> John and I were talking offline about how we're going to lead into this. And uh, yeah, yeah, anyways, I think it's going to be a fun episode. So sure, um, maybe. yeah, maybe fun to us, but no fun. The rest of our audience, the, 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 the 12 people that we <laughs> have listened to this. They might still be listening. Probably- who might still be listening? Yeah, we've lost months ago, months, years ago. Um, so who knows? They may just turn it off and be like, whatever. Uh, but we've kept we've kept some people, so I'm very happy about that. Um, we just need to go viral in some way. Uh, so we'll go ahead and start this off because because uh, uh, tonight we're going to talk about Mass Effect, uh, the game. We don't quite know the direction we're going yet, but we're going to just shoot from the hip and see where it goes. Pretty much like most of our stuff uh ends up um but as always john and i are drinking something this evening so john what are you drinking not not as always because I, we didn't drink the last two times that's um, true i haven't been drinking beer lately but it's just the easiest for my current living situation to to bring something back into so i'm so, drinking uh, beer tonight um but so the liquor store I stopped at, they have this shelf of single beers and then you pay like, I think 10 bucks for a mix and match six pack. Which so is cool. The, yeah. Yeah. So the first one, and I got a bunch of stuff I know and like, this is the only, I'm starting off with the only one I'd never had before and it's Smithwick's red ale. So I'm guessing it's like Killian's Irish red. Smith's. I've never had this one. Actually Smithwick's, okay. not Smithwick's. Smithwick's. Yeah. You know, the whole, apparently that's the, you know, island chain where English comes from, but you wouldn't be able to tell. Um, <laughs> it's Irish, though. That's weird. So, okay. okay. Smittix, Sons of Ireland, or whatever. Irish made red ale. So, yeah. Uh, their, uh, their regular ale is, is really good. Like, if you're a beer drinker, their regular one is, is not good. So, which again, I haven't been lately. I'm not really a beer drinker anymore, but this was easy for tonight. So this is, I mean, it's, I guess, okay. Is that all you got was the Smittix? No, like I said, this is, I got the mix and match six. I'm just So what were some of the other ones that you got? All right, let me go ahead and bust those out. Well, I'm not going to open them. <laughs> John's like, ah. So, and like I said, all the other ones I've had before. Uh, let's see here. And I don't know what order I'll be drinking these in, but Linen Hoogles, Summer Shandy, whatever. Okay. I don't know. I got a bunch of ones that were hard to pronounce. And this one, well, that one's this one's Belgian, and I I don't care what they say. That is Hoe Garden. <laughs> so, uh, so Hoe Garden, and like I said, I've, I'm not. Um, I don't like IPAs, stouts, whatever. Um, but I like my kind of li- my my loggers and my kind of light ones. Oh, wait, no, I take it back. There's another one I haven't tried before. Summer Bliss, New Belgium, Summer Bliss, Tropical Wheat. Oh. Other people Colorado might be like, there. whatever, whatever, but it's mine. It's Colorado? Yeah, New Belgium is Colorado, because they're the guys who yeah. make Fat Tire. Interesting, and I actually don't like Fat Tire. And then I got two from Kona, and I like Kona Brewing Company. Yeah. Or at least I did back when I drank beer, so I got the, just nothing special, the Big Wave and the Longboard. Oh, okay. They're like typical beers. Yeah. 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 Without one like Budweiser or something. 
No, I mean at least at least you decided to do some brew, like microbrew style beers. I'm just, I really don't drink beer anymore. It was just the easiest thing to do for this evening. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, especially well, given like your living conditions, like it's not like yep. I say conditions, like it's living situation. Let's put it that way. Like sure. you know, renting renting a room essentially is the hardest thing right now. So um, I'm actually I'm drinking a wine. Uh, it's uh, from Caduceus Cellars, 2017 Anubis. Um, it's not bad. It's pretty good. It's red, deep red, fruity. I think it's a black. He, he usually does blends like Tempranillo blends. Sixty percent Cab, twenty percent Cab Franc, and twenty percent Duraf. I've never heard of that. So, Duraf. So, oh, that's good. Bad. Christine, she was a sommelier. So, mm. that's why she likes wine so much. Excuse me. Is she getting you more and more into wine? Well, just we're always drinking wine. Yeah, but you had sent me a wine the other night. Like, you would never... Well, one we, of the we, past, before Christine, would never have sent me a wine. No. Well, it's we were at dinner, and I ordered the that Australian Cabernet, and I was like, huh, I really like this. And so I was like, you need to try this one, because we've discussed wines before. Uh-huh. And so I was like, you know, you'd like this one, Steve. You should try it. Mm-hmm. No, I don't remember what it was now, but whatever. Uh, it's, the it's in our messages somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah Jester. Yeah. I don't remember the winery, but... Yeah, I can find it just by saying the Jester wine. It'll pull up mm-hmm. stuff. But yeah, it's a cab from Australia? Yes. New Zealand? Yeah, there you go. So yeah. there you go. That's what we're drinking this evening. We're keeping it simple. Uh, I still am building out the piece. I haven't had much time lately because of work, but I'm still trying to build out like the drink website. And I think you just needed to take a look yourself and just I make do. sure that so, yeah. that's kind of inspired me not that i need to do anything else right now but i need to try and actually create drinks now so oh sweet cool man yeah. come, there come up go. with one of my own we'll see i like that idea so if you uh if you get to it let me know um you know so i'd love to get that i'd love to get the drinks like live and then people can start like downloading drinks and stuff that they want to drink. Huzzah! Um, We might get more people out of that. (laughs) Who knows? Um, So tonight's kind of interesting because John, I, I so the legendary edition of Mass Effect came out beginning of the year, I want to say. It was 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 last year. year. It's been out like a year now. Okay. I, I played it when Lauren and I were going through our thing when about the end of my relationship with Lauren is when I like started playing it. Um, <clears throat> I think just kind of as a mental break, but at the same time, cause I missed that game. Like I, I thought yeah. like the fact that it never made it to any of the PlayStation, you know, sides and it had never gotten any further than um, like I hated Adromina. You liked Adromina. Uh, Ad- okay. I, I will say I didn't hate Andromeda. There's, there's okay. a little more to it than that. That, um, that's a story in and of itself. Um, yeah, but I think, it the, I think it was only the first one that didn't go to PlayStation. Did like two, two and, and three go to PlayStation? I thought they, I yeah, thought they, they were like exclusives for a long, long time. No, just there was just the first one. Okay, well that's good then. So, but they never, they never did anything to bring them up to date on any of the consoles. So, like, it, you could only buy them, like, you couldn't buy them in the PlayStation Store. Um, that I would I don't know about. So as far as like, I never, 
I never looked for you're a PlayStation. Not, you're, you're a PC person, so. I, I am now, and back then I played Xbox, and I had exactly, them on Xbox, yeah. and I, was, I just never thought to look for them on PC, or on PlayStation, I mean. Yeah, I stopped playing Xbox when I got tired of Halo. Like, that was the only reason to buy an Xbox, and then Halo kind of... Sad, but true. Yeah. <laughs> Halo jumped the shark. Um, so, anyways, though, so I played it through, um, and then John's been playing it through on on the since it got re- since it's been on the PC now. Well, only so, j- I did it just recently, um, and I think you played those games through like once. Uh, Mass Effect. And, yeah, so this would be the second time that I've played it through, and I was all told they're probably my favorite game series still to stay. Um, so I've played them through several times and which each one, because of the whole idea of incorporating or importing a character into the next game from the previous game, I never just played them. Like I never just played two. If I played through two, well, sometimes like when I first, like when two first came out and I brought it home, I obviously imported one of my characters from one, but every time I went back to replay them, I started all the way back at the beginning. Oh, wow. So I played the first one through, like it's a pyramid of however many times I've played three, I've played through two like twice as many times, and I've played through one like twice as many times as that. So Oh, wow. So, so I've played them through, played a lot. through a lot. And then two or so years ago, I got them off of Steam because I wanted to try mods. And just... There's a whole bunch of mods to three that change a whole bunch of, add a whole bunch of cool things to it. But for the first two, there's, it was really just a bunch of quality of life improvements. Um, and now again, I found Legendary Edition for cheap. I, Like I said, it came out last year, and I really just, do I really want to get this again? Because, again, I've played them through so many times. Yeah. But I found it, I got it cheap, I got it on sale, and I was just like, well, a lot of the mods that were on the old ones have come out for Legendary Edition, so let me do that. And I've been on it ever since. Okay. And so I played it through once, and yeah, and as we are discussing this tonight, I am, give or take, about halfway through two on my second playthrough. And I, you can almost say it's kind of turned into research for this evening. Again, I still don't know... <laughs> I don't know exactly how I want to structure this, but I just will go from there. And I guess we can discuss why it has the following it does, because it has a tremendous following, but it has its fair share of haters. Um, and it's. But I think the reason why it's got its haters is because of the, the ending. Yeah. Like the, it's, the it's because of the ending. It's all because like, of the ending. Kind of, yeah, it's very so, polarized. It's all because of the ending. And. The ending doesn't bother me. I mean, because I, I just, one, it's not that any point about it is wrong, but really, how are you going to end that series? And that yeah. kind of ties into one of the things I kind of want to discuss tonight, because just more in keeping with what our podcast has sort of been about, I really, I really want to discuss the story and structure, because again, it's not so much about playing a video game as experiencing a story. And it was with as technology improved that video games became a legitimate storytelling medium. And that's yeah, one of the more popular if, examples. If you, th- 
Although you could say like Final Fantasy VII was probably one of the very first like true storytelling games. And others would probably even argue. Actually, I would actually argue that there were others before that. But yeah, but when Final Fantasy VII came out, when Final Fantasy VII came out, it was absolute landmark of a story based game that people just absolutely fell in love with, myself included. Mm -hmm. Um, That was kind of one of the things that just kind of cemented video games for me in my, in my young age is, you know, it was just this amazing experience. It was just completely enraptured with this world and wanting to see what happened next. So final fantasy seven well, for me, interactivity, man, like you could, like you were in control of the story, like still there was linear, like you had to like go through certain areas of the story to unlock it, but you were in control how fast it happened especially a game like Final Fantasy VII, which gave you some controls on um, yeah. the ability to uh, uh, to navigate the game, right? Yeah. Now, open worlds change that navigation immensely. Well, and that's Final Fantasy VII really had something to do with that. Now, it wasn't the first, like, wandering RPG. There were others before it, but they weren't anywhere near that scope. And obviously, we're already getting off on our first tangent here, but <laughs> what really, really, I think, sold and it's hard to go all the way back to 1995 when everyone was sitting there on their initial PlayStation and experiencing Final Fantasy VII. What I think really, really sold it is because back then and before that, and you're talking about Nintendo and Super Nintendo, games couldn't be that long. Mm. The comparative size of games and adventure and everything like that. For example, I could never get into Zelda. To this day, I've never been able to get into a Zelda game. But just randomly for Christmas when I was a little kid, my parents got me this game for the original Nintendo called Crystalis. Mm-hmm. Same kind of isometric top-down RPG as Zelda. Same idea, sword. Oh, it had more of a sci-fi element to it, but you know, ideas, swords, and magic, and everything like that. And I, this was the first game that I ever played where I couldn't figure out what to do or where to go. I put the game down, and who knows, like a month or two later, I'd pick it back up, and oh, I'd figure something out. And figure something out until finally I was just invested, and then I totally finally figured it out. Got through the whole game, was blown away, and I just never looked at Zelda after that. Crystalis stole stole my heart. Then and then once I knew where to go and what to do, and I would replay it. So this is an RPG on the original Nintendo, maybe five hours beginning to end, and that's with exploring and doing everything and all that. So games could only be so big. And that's, you know, I'm sure there were bigger games on the Super Nintendo. I didn't play a whole lot of games to that. All that's to say, when Final Fantasy VII came out, that whole initial playthrough in Midgar, the beginning of the game, is like a whole game in and of itself. And going into games like that, you were kind of used to games being five, six hours long, things like that, even RPGs. And so your first playthrough, you're in Midgar, and you've been playing for like four or five hours, and you're kind of getting, and it has this very climactic feel to it. It feels like a whole complete game. And then you you have the climactic finale on the motorbike with the vehicle, and it's this exciting chase scene and all this stuff. And you get to the edge of the city, and it's like, all right, it is time to go on your adventure. And... If you've been playing on games before that, you feel it feels like the end of it. Felt you've just played a whole game, and you're like, yeah. "Wait, what?" And then it opened up the world, and you were just like, 
oh my word. Like, and you saw the world map for the first time and you're like, this game is enormous. And it just, everything <laughs> you had just done was in this one city. And now you had the whole Wasn't map it to explore. It was, but it was yeah. like 60% of the game was on disc one. And then like 30% of the game was on disc two. And then the last 10% was on disc three. Yeah. But it was just still, it was just like, like it, it like made you think you were about to finish the game. And then it opened up in the, something way bigger than you would experience than you'd ever experienced before in another video game. And I just know that if that effect had that, the effect that had on players at the time. And I think that is, that was the single moment that clinched it for people. Why the game became iconic. Mass effect, nothing like that. In no, fact, unfortunately not. Like, um, um, interestingly enough, what's because there's hubs in the speaking of the first three Mass Effect games, we can discuss Andromeda at some point if we want. But the uncharted worlds in Mass Effect One, notwithstanding, and that's actually kind of something I want to get into later. They're not really like open world RPGs. They're actually kind of sort of linear missions. But more so chopped up that you can play them in any order. And then there's fairly open hub areas in the game that kind of gave you the illusion of an open world RPG when it didn't really have it. So especially this was especially became more true in Mass Effects 2 and 3, where it was mm-hmm. yes, there were some hub worlds like your ship in the Citadel you could go to and everything like that. But the missions were all linear. It's just you got to choose when you went on a mission and everything like that. But they were... Yeah, kind of like Knights of the Old Republic, right? Like you had... Well, except yes, for although there was more... Was an open world, you had the certain planets that you can go to and that was it. So. And, there, and there was a fair bit of exploring to them. Interestingly yeah. enough, the first Mass Effect is kind of the most open one. But it wasn't fun. It didn't like... And I, I, maybe, are you maybe, saying just because the amount of planets... To explore, well, it got very old to explore them. Well, it got it old the to same explore over and over again. Yeah, and it's it had the same three like prefab habitat. You either had the underground mine, like the underground like habitat, or the above ground habitat, and yeah. then the planets were all you know different, you know different colors and different landscapes but it just it was just the same thing over and over again now the yeah. idea do i have to fight a thresher mall in this one do i have to fight geth in this one do i have to fight you know and just yeah yeah but when it, even all that what really drove me nuts was the mako and driving the mako around <laughs> it was obnoxious as hell. it was obnoxious <laughs> as hell and it okay it's like this somewhat all-terrain vehicle but they man did they love to make mountains that that thing couldn't drive over and it was it just got so annoying, especially, especially, yeah. And there's a, a lot of them are bad, but the one that takes the cake is called Notocrux. Um, Notocrux, whoever designed that planet needs to get pistol whipped. Like, seriously, screw that planet. Um, <laughs> now, the legendary edition of Mass Effect added a thruster, and not just the jump thruster, Mako always had that, but actually like a, a forward yeah. booster. Um, but it was actually annoying. And that's actually one of the mods I installed just straight quality of life is unlimited sprint, which also translated to unlimited booster. And oh, that did that accelerated things precipitously. Now going so through my, I, 
last I could ignore a lot of that. One. I didn't even, I think I did two or three planets and I was like, I'm done. Like, I was like, I think these yeah. are the important ones to do for story wise, but that's it. Yeah. And because uh, here and there, there was important, like, you know, quest stories you could do. And I, um, but that was just the gameplay of Mass Effect 1 aged really poorly. Yeah. Um, and to be fair, it's actually the least interesting of the stories, but at least in my opinion. But obviously, it's very important. It does get the story going. Why do you think it was the least interesting? Like, what it, what makes you think that? Oh, just, you know, in concept, okay, it's cool. You're going to these different places trying to track down Saren and the Geth and unraveling this mystery as to why he's doing what he's doing. Um, I don't know. It just it didn't appeal to me as, like, the battle against the Collectors in 2 and then, obviously, the Reaper War in 3. Uh, I always thought it was interesting. Like it was a good twist. Like the entire time you're thinking it's Saren, and come to find out it's it's not really him. It's it's this Reaper, he's an, right? Who's he's the actual that's pulling the strings, right? Yeah, and Saren's just indoctrinated. Yeah, he, he's indoctrinated. Um, it was a nice twist, and again, the story is still worth it. It's good. I just don't think it's it's the it's the least important of the three stories, or the least interesting, at least. Okay. So, yeah, I think that's the as much as EA destroys everything they touched. There is a, just a marked improvement in Mass Effect Two over Mass Effect One. Like the influx of the EA budget was really, really noticeable. No, um, it was Bio Bioware. Yes. Not Bioware. Was it yes, was it Bioware, Bioware before? Yeah, it was Part One, right? Because well, the same thing. It was always still Bioware. It just EA bought Bioware. Um, oh, okay. And their first game, Mass Effect was their last game when they were an independent studio. And then the first game they came out with as part of EA was the first Dragon Age. And then Mass Effect 2. And yeah, so Bioware had made, you know, the... Uh, Man, why am I going to forget what they're called? I didn't play them myself. But the Baldur's Gates, and then the Knights, the first Knights of the Old Republic, and I'm pretty sure you remember it. I never finished it, but I enjoyed it. I, I wish I had finished it. Uh, Jade Empire. Um, I was, I enjoyed that game. John Cleese had a small part in it, by the way. Uh, but I just, I just never finished it. It was a game called Jade Empire that Bioware made, and it was after, yeah. I did finish that. I liked it. I I just never got around to finishing it. I, I'm kind of yeah. sad. I never did, but I don't think you'll ever find it. Unfortunately, it's a it's a it's probably. I think I probably still have it somewhere buried in my stuff in at the house. I mean, it's an Xbox game. Like it's it's yeah. you're not going to find it anywhere else, right? So yeah, that was an Xbox game. Um, so that was their legacy, and I guess they'd finally gotten enough attention with the success of the first Mass Effect that EA snatched them up. Yeah, and as shitty as that is, it did for, for at least the short term. The, the improvements in the Mass Effect universe were very noticeable. Um, two and especially three were much more fleshed out in terms of lore and rules, things like that. Um, yeah, it, when and you go back and building? yeah, just general world building, and when you go back and replay one, you can just tell they had there were a lot of things they hadn't gotten around to fully establishing yet. Yeah. 
But I, and I think that was because Bioware at the time they weren't owned by Xbox, but they were doing Xbox exclusives. So Kotar, Jade Empire, right, being the, the two big ones. Mm-hmm. But if you remember, even Kotar Two wasn't done by them. Like it was some no, other team. It was, it was uh, and, and so I Obsidian. think Bioware was just a small independent studio trying to put out these AAA franchise games. And they just couldn't, they could do quality to a certain extent, but they, they would have never done the scope of what Mass Effect has turned into all these years later. You could, you can always tell, like, it's like I said, especially with the first Mass Effect cut, the corners cut in gameplay, at least back then, sad to say it's not the case anymore. And I don't care what anyone says. Storytelling was always the main draw to a Bioware game. Um, yeah. Um, the gameplay kind of took a backseat. No, the gameplay in like Night Seal Republic for what it was was good and there was nothing really else like it. And it was it was a very fast paced, for lack of a better term, turn based combat. That was yeah. kind of the neat idea with Jade Empire. Jade Empire basically added the same gameplay as Knights of the Old Republic, but had real time combat. And it was an it was yeah. a touch. But yeah, yeah just the, the I don't like the guns in Mass Effect One just don't feel right, you know. Yeah. Shooting the, they just. I am not enough of a game designer to remember the terms, but when they like old shooters, like the two different types of shooters, like the old technology of shooters, where it's literally just instant. Um, and it was all based on where like where the targeting reticle was on the screen, and when you push the fire button on your controller or whatever, it just was like an instant shot at that spot. And that was what a lot of the early like shooting game mechanics were based on. And it was in later it was the technology improved that you actually had the concept of a real 3d space mm-hmm. and an actual digital, it's a video game, but an actual projectile traveling yeah. through that space. And you could just feel the old mass effect feels like the old technology. And the other two do not. It just the gameplay is just clunkier. The mechanic now that with the re- legendary edition they did correct a lot. Of, you could tell that they patched up a bunch of stuff, probably things mm-hmm. that they wanted to do way back in two thousand six and seven, and didn't get a chance to do because the game had to get released and all that. But it, it, there was like there was technically a melee attack in the first Mass Effect, but it was literally just an auto like if something got close to you. You just, like your character, your character did a melee attack. Like you had no control over it, and there was a cooldown on it that you didn't know about because you couldn't just keep doing it. You yeah, had to like wait it was some time. basically melee attack, and then you had to back away and then shoot the fucker. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, so what the hell? <laughs> they 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 actually turned it into a button in the legendary edition, so you actually have just a straight up melee attack now. But there was just a lot of clunky mechanics in the first one. Yeah, the story was still there. It's true for all games, though, I would say, with, like, mechanics. Like, the first game usually has a lot of clunky mechanics. Of course. Like, the, the, this Horizon uh, Horizon Zero, whatever, Zero Dawn, or whatever the fuck. Yeah. And that game is because the Forbidden West game is essentially just a rehash of the first game. And the mechanics are the same. Like, they didn't do anything to update the mechanics, change anything. They are just like, oh, well, this is the way it worked, and everybody liked this, so we're just going to do the same thing again. I was like, oh, that's kind of fucking annoying. It's always a balance uh, with from game to game. Like, you want to... How much change versus how much you, you keep? Because you don't want to just throw everything out. 
Right. You, you obviously you want to keep what works and you want to keep what's popular. Uh, True. But let's, if you take a game like, but just, uh, you know, you know, one of my favorite games is, is um, uh, uh, Uncharted, right? Yeah. And you go from Uncharted 1 to Uncharted 2 and the mechanics, well, overall the mechanics are the same. You still have the same running, climbing, jumping, but then they're like, we're going to add better aiming and capabilities and we're going to add stealth. So this way you can do silent takedowns on characters, right? And then you've got three, which just improves those mechanics even more, keeping the same elements. And then you've got four, which is like, we're just rewriting the whole system. We have better technology. So you can basically like the climbing ability is going to be different. Like how you, you know, can hide and stuff like that is going to be different. Silent takedowns are different. So it's, a, it's like you can build upon it without taking away the other aspects of it. Mass Effect did that as a really good job of like, I think part three was the most jarring. If you play them all one like one after the other, you notice the biggest jump between two and three. And all of a sudden, like the mechanics just feel different and you have to kind of oh, rethink yeah. like how you're doing Cause it, it, you know. Because they really upgraded the mechanics for two. From well, they two, even added say. the loading. The, the, like you had to now pick up like before you could just shoot your gun for as much as you want now you have to go and find clips and you're like oh crap this adds another variable to it that you didn't which was i don't know it felt better than just unlimited ammo you just had to worry about your gun overheating yeah but at the same time it's well now this is just like every other shooter out there so it was a trade-off yeah uh overall though it's it was still better um and this is so three is my favorite of them. I could okay. I can see why people like two the best in terms of story, and I won't disagree with that. But uh-huh. I still think three has a better story. Yes, I know everyone hates the end, but <laughs> there were still awesome things in the story. The, the the game of three was the best, but just getting into the mechanics briefly, obviously. So it added dodging and rolling and things like that. It added, like, not just covers, because two had cover. Technically, even yeah. speaking, one had a very, very... I, I don't even think I used it most of the time. Uh, very simplistic cover mechanics. But it all had, like, options, like, you could go around a corner in cover and stay in cover. Like, you didn't have to, like, break cover and go around and then take cover on a corner. So you could come up to a corner and push a button, and your character would stay in cover and go around the corner. Cool things like that. And <laughs> now, granted, I use mods to get around this in the first two games, but three had unlimited sprint. Huge, huge improvement. It was much faster paced and than the other two. And then in terms of weapons and powers and structure in that regard, it blended the two, and I think did very well. Because one of the things that killed one was it just drowned you in weapons and upgrade material uh, like weapon upgrades and everything like that like you were constantly doing inventory management inventory management is important in an rpg but it has to be it can't it has to be intuitive it cannot bog it down there are some exceptions to that because some rpgs actually cater to people's ocd when it comes to that but it just yeah uh, but in the first mass effect it was just absurd 
Well, because you didn't have, just, like, you could just collect. You didn't have to get rid of anything. Yeah. Well, and a lot of, the, like, you auto-collected from, like, every combat encounter. Like, Pretty much, every yeah. time, every encounter, like, you auto-collected everything. And it was just, like, literally every time you got in a firefight, it was just like, all right, you got to get in my inventory now. Um, two people actually kind of complained about, almost went too far in the other direction. Because there was just very little uh, leveling up in terms of the characters. Like each character, like you as Shepard, you had more, but like your characters essentially only had like three potential abilities and then like a passive ability that leveled up. You only found like three guns of each kind over the course of the whole game. It was the leveling up aspect, the RPG that create a character was very pared down in two. Yeah. But it was so much more streamlined. It was definitely an improvement over the just fuckery that was the first game. But Three I think they also found that they did that on purpose, though, because they, they very much did that on purpose. And, and, and it was much better. And it also, especially because you actually had to worry about ammunition now. And not only did they add clips, but the game, the weapons didn't have a whole lot of ammo. Like, if you just, if you. Uh, spray and prayed, you ran out of ammo really fast and too. So it actually <laughs> it made you rely on your abilities and your powers and things like that. Yeah. Three found a blend between the two that really really worked. Uh, so that's again one of the reasons why three is the best game. It added more weapons and more abilities to the characters from two. But it wasn't the insanity of one. Which just keeping up in it, you know, you got even in the baseline game, to before DLC came out, where he added a lot of cool weapons. DLC and 3 added a lot of cool weapons. It was just much more customized, but not anywhere near. It was had did not have the inventory management. It didn't bring back the inventory management of 1, but it added way more variety over 2. So that was just right there. The mechanics of the combat itself, and then the weapons and abilities were just top-notch in 3. think that they like a, a game mechanic like for example inventory management where they're like oh well you know they went pendulums on this side second game comes out pendulum is now on this side right yeah. and then third game and then as you like kind of put it you're like it was right in the middle for you like third time's a charm I feel like that was them listening to their base like where they were like one became too much of a hassle for people two became too much of a hassle for people and so like well, we'll find that balance between three and hopefully we make them happy i think so i think that's exactly what it was okay so overall story for you like for me i really the story was, was great like i love the story of mass effects now yeah i will admit that will, you and I, I had many conversations at the very, like, very, like, years ago. And, and I, the one thing is just how it ended, right? Like, when I first played through it, I was kind of disappointed with the ending. Not in that it ended badly. I just felt like it was kind of like a cop-out in many ways. Like that. There you go. Uh, the a week. lot of people would agree with you. Yeah, I'm trying yeah. that's summer bliss, New Belgium, tropical week. I like it. It, needs, it probably needs a like a, a lemon or something. No, it's got it in there. It's like mango flavored, <laughs> but not like it's not like a mango flavored drink. It's like 
okay. a beer with a hint of mango. Uh, get you a sour. You might like sours. Yeah, I I do like shandies, but um, yeah. So yes, yeah, obviously that was a lot of people were pissed off. Mm-hmm. Now this kind of once this is going into the larger thing, and the ending didn't bother me as much as it did a lot of people. And I get it, like all of a sudden, like the decisions didn't matter, and you could be like. Super goody, good goody two shoes paragon all the way through, and then just be like the most evil ending. Although there's, if you want to call it evil, none of the endings are really evil. Yeah, that's true. So, but I have two things to me. I think that temper that. One, how do you end a story like that? Like, what could you just? Could you think of off the, maybe you know not necessarily off the top of your head, but can you think of a more satisfying way to end that s- story? Yeah, and this could, the, the, you the, you just basically brought up an argument that I always have when you bring up like Star Wars being horrible and stuff like that. And I was like, but you don't own the story, right? Like it's not your story to tell, so it just you know you have to watch what Disney decides to say is the end oh. of Star Wars. And so you kind of like you you kind of put that same perspective on top of this, and that like, yeah, could you come up with something better? It's not really your story to tell, though. Like it's it's these guys. Well, this is the story. This is the way that they felt. Well, and again, I just I can't think really quickly of a smoother way to end Mass Effect. I can't think of it. There was a joke ending that I saw one time that made me laugh. That was <laughs> like, oh, that's an even better ending. But this is. Also now, kind of going to get into one of the larger issues, and I think this was just kind of one of the larger issues with Mass Effect, and it was baked in all the way from the beginning. When, mm-hmm. And it also ties to the how exactly do you end the story. Because when it gets right down to it, how do you beat the Reapers? Yeah. Now, on a... You almost have to beat them at their own game. Well, I mean, really, they're... How do you beat them? You, you can't. They're yeah. unstoppable in terms of what we think of as in traditional warfare. Uh, and in terms of the sci-fi warfare in the game. Now, the Reapers are a very cool villain. Very intimidating. Terrifying. They're massive in size. They're far more intelligent. Indoctrination is in a terrifying, you know, Forced to have to deal with in terms of like being an enemy. So again, so and all those features, yeah, they're they're a very terrifying villain. They essentially, in terms of you can't think of them in terms of individuals, but an individual Reaper is bigger than a dreadnought class ship. And if you actually get if you actually get into the codex and read them, it talks about like. A Reaper's shields can withstand two. Like this was actually a write up. I'm somewhat paraphrasing, but it's just a Reaper's shields can withstand two dreadnoughts incoming simultaneous fire, but three mm-hmm. causes strain and four overwhelms the Reaper. So like four dreadnoughts can bring down a Reaper. Okay, but the Reapers outnumber the dreadnoughts of all the races. So you need like three to four of them just to have a chance to bring down a Reaper, and on top of that, they already outnumber you. And they destroy dreadnoughts a lot faster. They're just a terrifying villain. So this gets into, I think, really what the problem was with the ending. And it 
goes all the way back to the first one. Reapers are a good villain. They were a scary villain. It was a cool thing to lead up to. But they painted themselves into the to a corner because, because they're can't, so massive. Well, they're so they're massive. They're like they're like they're like the doomsday of they. They like, are the do doomsday. So there's no there's no story after the end of that. Now, yeah. granted, yes, there's a new Mass Effect coming out now. We don't know what's going on with it, but it was just there was never going to be a normal life after this war. So the ending was always going to be unsatisfactory, I guess you could say, because you just had such a daunting, you know, Armageddon level villain that or antagonist, however you want to say it. Yeah, that it was just you created and then couple that with the timeline. So if, and because I'm a big enough nerd and I've played through these games so many times. Humans are a newcomer in this galaxy sure fine but yeah. you've realized like at what level they are a newcomer so in the timeline of the game humans had just started exploring space and everything like that and then they had the encounter with Turians that was called the first contact war mm-hmm. our first interaction with aliens and realizing that you know there was aliens out in the galaxy in the timeline of the game that is 2157 the first mass effect game takes place in 2183 the last one takes place in 2186, I believe. So that's 30 years that humans have been involved in hundreds of years of history, which is cool. It's always cool to learn that in the game as you're playing. Like the, yeah. the, the Quarians and the Geth was 300 years ago. You know, the drill, the homeworld of the drill becoming unable to sustain life and the Hanar rescuing him, that was 200 years ago. The, Salan- the Asari discovering the Citadel, I think, was our equivalent of, like, 500 BC. And then, like, like around 800 AD is, like, when the third group, the Turians, become part of it. Like, the Rachni War was 2,000 years ago. The Krogan Rebellions was, like, 1,000 years ago. And so, all these things. So, all these scales of things that's going on in the galaxy of Mass Effect as you're playing it, humans have only been involved in it for 30 years. Yeah. Okay. Now, and this is such a endless, rich storytelling medium. They have built an incredible world to tell, much like Star Wars. You know, galaxy spanning, all these different races. It's cool technology, the Citadel, different planets, colonies, all these things. Zillion stories you can tell on this. And you cut it all short because of the Reapers. The, the Reaper, as a villain, just cuts all of this short. So if you're going to have a story, if you're going to tell a secondary Mass Effect story, if you're going to have humans involved, you get a very small window in the timeline, only about 30 years. And still, it just has this ticking time bomb, has this has this built-in expiration date. Now, I thought of all, to me, I had a random idea. I can't design games. I don't know. I thought it would be cool. And this was back before I got sick of si- sandbox games and everything like that. But could you imagine if they just started making different games in the Mass Effect universe? One thing I thought would be cool would be like Mass Effect Citadel, where you, it's like a you pick you can pick your race. You can be like a Salarian, Turian, Asari, human, whatever, mm-hmm. and you don't even really go into space in the game. It is all in the Citadel, and you're like maybe you're a C-Sec officer, so it's playing more like a Grand Theft Auto game, and you don't get to go out and explore space. But you get to explore the actual 
Sit but down. It, the actual all five wards in the Presidium are actually mapped out like they would be in, say, like GTA Five, where the city is there, and you could go explore the whole city. Could you imagine it's, that? That'd I, be a cool I game, say, or at least like you, conceptually you never, a cool game. In all the Mass Effects, you never really get like the size and scale of how big the Citadel is. Now, two and three tried to do a bigger job of it by like you land. You're not actually inside of specific areas. Like you're not in the same area of the Citadel, right? You take an elevator to get here, or there, that kind of thing. But still, like you really never get an idea on how other, big other that than, is. Other than the skybox, no. Like yeah. parts you can look out the window and see it. But yeah. So yeah, it's 44 kilometers long. The ward arms are 44 kilometers long. I don't know how wide they are. And the Presidium ring is 13 kilometers in diameter. Yeah. Could you imagine that rendered into like five independent cities that you could explore and then like a sixth smaller, like higher end, the higher end neighborhood, if you will, of the Presidium. And just having this as like a free roam sandbox game. Yeah. I think that sounds cool as hell. But again, <laughs> but again, all these things, depending on where you time it, just comes jutting up against this big giant wall with the word Reapers written on it. So, yeah. And that was the, so I think the flaw with the, the ending people didn't like was doomed to happen just from having such a immense, unstoppable villain. That's yeah. My take the on only it. way to stop them is essentially to become like, now obviously you could, like, you, but Shepard uploading himself into the consciousness, either he becomes, you know, a Reaper himself, essentially, or he. What were, what were the three endings? Destroy, um, where you could destroy the Reapers, but the side effect was it destroyed all, basically all electronics. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, it, well, and the, and the relays. And everything like that. Oh, that's true. So yeah, ba- yeah. Control, where basically his consciousness became the consciousness of the Reapers, and he was controlling mm-hmm. them all. Or where you basically combined organic and synthetic life into a single life form. Those were the three options. Again, so not satisfying with the ending. There was no, but there was no way that there was going to be a good ending to that. That's that's my assertion. Yeah, I'll give you that. Like, I, I can understand that. Um, and it's almost, it's it's my same reason, like, why I hate Superman. <laughs> like, at the end of the day, or Wonder Woman, right? Like, you have these DC comic characters who, uh, for lack of, they don't have any flaws. They have nothing, like Superman, he's allergic to kryptonite, essentially, right? So he's allergic to a space rock. Other than that, like, he's not, like, you're not going to kill him. And if if some villain happens to find a way to like subdue him enough dc just writes in a brand new fucking power and suddenly you know he's he's back to being superman again and so you're just kind of like well this is stupid um you know it's it's that same kind of idea you know um you can write yourself into a corner um okay okay now i see the connection i was like you were throwing me off there switching over to like superman i'm like I don't see how. (laughs) Um, I mean, we're going to talk nerd shit, so it doesn't matter. Fair enough. Anyway, so that that was my spiel on the ending. So the ending doesn't really bother me. And to me, 
the real endings, the Citadel DLC anyway. Uh, that is still my favorite DLC. I, DLC? I, I don't remember playing this DLC in the Legendary Edition. Which one is this? I, I, if you have not played the Citadel DLC, where the Normandy goes into a retrofit, Oh, wait, yes, I have, but and I don't remember it. Well, none of the dialogue is that serious. So, like, it starts with there is a quote-unquote serious enemy you have to contend with, and there's still fighting yeah, and everything like that. Running across but the then rooftop, the, you're getting but shot then, at and shit like that. And then the second half is where you throw a party, and you just invite everybody from your crew and everything like that. And it's just, one, even in the in the quote-unquote serious part, the dialogue is funny. They're not taking it seriously. Yeah. All the all the dialogue's tongue in cheek, and it's just great. And it was just one big send off to all these characters that you'd fallen in love with, and it was just great. And it, and that is why you know, that is why it is my favorite DLC. I would not disagree with the contention that Blood and Wine DLC from Witcher Three is the best DLC ever made. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, argue against that at all because Blood and Wine for Witcher Three. What a masterpiece! And the game was a masterpiece anyway. And then that was just a, just the chef's kiss at the end. What an amazing experience that the Blood and Wine DLC was. Um, Do you think that, that Witcher would have been the type of game that it was without Mass Effect? I don't know how. Well, I guess I could say. Probably not, no, because I know at least going all the way back to the original Witcher, and I think they kept this, CD Projekt Red used the same engine. Okay, uh, but, but think about the way that like certain elements of the Witcher are played. Like, for example, the, the, the romance options, the ability to romance certain characters, yeah. right? that sort of thing. Um, Mass Effect was one of the first games that allowed you to do that. Yeah, they were kind of a pioneer in that. They were also kind of a pioneer in DLC. Now, there was expansions before that, but the Bring Down the Sky DLC for the first Mass Effect, I think was the first DLC I'd ever even heard of. I'd never heard of downloadable yeah. content before that. Um, yeah, because it didn't exist on Halo, right? Um, and Halo was like probably the most popular game. I'm trying to think if there was any DLC. Well, just, you could like buy said, map packs and stuff like that for online play, but that was it. And again, like older games, like say StarCraft, had expansions. Mm -hmm. Expansions were was a thing, but not DLC. Yeah, but now, DLC is essentially that's exactly what it is. Just an expansion, right? It's smaller. If, if it's, it has to. I get like the expansion to StarCraft doubles the size of the game, not literally doubles the size of it. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> going one game after Mass Effect into Dragon Age. Dragon Age had DLC, but then it also had Dragon Age Awakening, which was an expansion. It wasn't a DLC. That was an expansion. It wasn't mm. that big, but it added a whole new area, added new characters. It basically, like, like, you're, like the maxed out tier of materials in Dragon Age was like level 7. It added like an 8, 9, and 10, I think. Maybe even more. Yeah. I'm spacing it. So it just added a whole bunch of stuff. It was not you know what? Fable had DLC, and Fable did come out before Mass Effect. 
I, I never played that, so that might have been why. I just, I think, okay. yeah, now that I think about it, I think Bring Down the Sky was my first experience with DLC. Okay, um, okay. X, I know Xbox added the ability through the ability to, uh, like, because you could connect your Xbox to the internet. So that was kind of, I think, helped push DLC, right? Like, yeah. Now, granted, DLC has gone insane at this point, but it, you know, back then it really genuinely added something like, hey, here's spend five bucks and get this whole new adventure with these characters you like or anything like that. And like, again, going back to like the blood, well, both DLCs for the Witcher, but the first one hearts of stone was a lot smaller. It's still amazing. And the best villain in the Witcher, the, as much as I love Witcher, it was Witcher three was an amazing game. I still can't believe you haven't played it. Um, no, I've played it. I w- Witcher 3, I've played it. I just haven't finished it. All the way, well, I don't think you got very far in it, from what I remember. Like, I got bored with it. Not even close. And see, that just doesn't compute <laughs> to me. So, But as much as I love that game, and I love that story and everything like that, I will say it, the base game, the base game we're talking about here, the villain is kind of meh. The villain is very not mem- as much as their play- the wild hunt is played up the wild hunt in actual in actuality in the game is just kind of eh. like whatever so, they're not they're not anything to really I, worry about blood and wine it's like how like steeped in lore like it was i like i've never heard of the wild hunt until the witcher right but then you kind of learn about it in different like mythologies, like Norse mythology, yeah, the, and the, like there that. is actual a wild hunt in mythology. Yeah, um, it's kind of cool. Like I, I'm glad that they that tried cool. to do that. And and then in Blood and Wine, the villain is, I will say, interesting. It's an interesting kind of plot going on in Blood and Wine. Again, great DLC. Heart to Stone, also great DLC, but not not anywhere near to the scale of Blood and Wine. But the villain in that is so. Far beyond creepy. What an amazing villain. Just absolutely amazing villain. Um, they did cool things with him too. And I keep bringing up Witcher because I want to discuss in the context of Mass Effect. Because I've been playing around. Obviously I've played the game through so many times. And things like, eh, I don't really want to do this. But let me see the difference it makes. Let, let me see what happens if I do this. Let me see what happens if I do that. And seeing if it matters, and almost being disappointed when you find out like it doesn't have a change, like they didn't think of it, because that's one thing Witcher did very well. And there's a there's a YouTube channel called Exletalus, and he's been making Witcher content for years now. And he they the again it just goes into the genius of that game when they just the sheer amount of detail they thought of, and he's like, well. Theoretically, if you make this decision instead of this decision, it should affect that. So let me play through and do that and see if they accounted for that when they built the game. And sure enough, they did. And it, so many times, it was, huh. We they Even if it was just like one line of dialogue, they accounted for the fact that you made that decision. Um, case in point, you didn't get this far, but whatever. The game's seven years old now, so I'm going to spoil it. Uh, your, so your mentor died about, you know, two thirds of the way through the main story, your mentor dies. Yeah, I got that far. Okay. So in the first DLC in Hearts of Stone, 
you go to this auction house and there's an old woman there and she's a very interesting old wealthy woman who she became as a hobby became fascinated with witchers so uh-huh. she's actually studied actually studied the different schools she's a collector of witcher gear of things like that you can actually buy diagrams for which are the best diagrams in the game for armor up until the blood and wine dlc Okay. And so you get to talking to her, and you actually find out the reason why is because of a witcher that came when she was a young woman, you know, to her village one day because of a monster, and he came went to go took care of the monster, and they had a whirlwind romance, and he had to, I think her father like busted him, so he had to flee, and run, and she just never forgot about him and became obsessed with witchers from that day on. So she actually really truly learned. Witchers more than any normal person does, and it turns out that Witcher was a young Vesemir, i.e., your mentor. And so she asks you because she immediately, like, you get introduced to her, and she's like, School of the Wolf, blah blah blah, like things normal people don't know. Yeah, and she, she asks you if you know him, and he's like, Know him, he taught me everything I know. And she asks you about him, and you're like, Well, I'm sorry to say, uh, he passed, he's dead. He died. And it's kind of a sad little moment because she basically grew old carrying a torch for this man her whole life. You know, so it's a little sad moment. Has its moment. Well, sure enough, even though that is the DLC that should be taking place after the main quest and the base game, and it should be way too high level, you should have no business being in that DLC before you get that far in the game. If you can manage to do it, and you play that DLC first, and Vesemir is still alive, yes, there's dialogue for it. And she's like, how is he? He's like, yeah, last I saw him, he was okay. And then actually, when you go and talk to him in the part of the game before he dies, you can say, oh, I met this woman that she remembers you, and you kind of talk about a story. Sure enough, they thought of it. Now, that is just one example of many of just the sheer crazy details that are in which yeah, you had like, shared the one like of the chick who uh, died as a as a sparrow or whatever. Like she was cursed to live out her life. Or else, yeah, she was. Yeah, so and that was the last, supposedly the last secret. And I should do that Exlatalis video. Supposedly yeah. the last secret. And he goes in. I mean, he's gone so far now at this point. He's using console commands to like clip through walls and things like that, just to find extra details and things like that. He has found dialogue one of the recent videos I watched is that should be impossible to get. Like there is no reason you should ever hear this dialogue, but he, you used situations to get to that area and they, they recorded dialogue that theoretically you should never hear. That's just the kind of attention to detail they did. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So mass effect does not go that extreme. However, they do do things. They do think of it at times, and I love it when I find it. And quite often, it's just small little dialogue options, things like that. Um, <clears throat> I don't. I can't really think of any examples in two or in in the first Mass Effect. I, in fact, all the examples I can think of are only in two. I can't think of any in three off the top of my head. Though. But I can't really think of any circumstances. No, okay, I take that back. But I won't get into that right now. I, yes, I there do are. Know that they did like based upon your choices in one. Like they did 
record dialogue for certain events yes. to happen too. And yes, they did. But like, like that's what I'm, um Okay, I'll like really the real main examples I can think of are all around Legion. I'm mm -hmm. sad that like Legion came into the game so late. You think I you guess, think he should have been one? No, 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 no. I just mean like well, I wish that you think he should have been in two earlier. Yes, I would have loved to have more time with him. Now, okay. if you do not want your crew to die, or at least like some of your crew to die, mostly Kelly, if you mm -hmm. want to keep Kelly alive, you basically get after you do the last main mission of the game, at least before the end, where you go to the derelict Reaper. You basically have time for one mission, and because that's where you get Legion, essentially, and you can play the game however you want, but if you don't want Kelly to die, and some of your crew members to die, you only get the one mission. So essentially, you need to do that thing last. Everything else in the game needs to be done unless you plan on doing it after you've played, after you've beaten the game. So you can do Legion's loyalty mission and get his loyalty and then go on to the final mission of the game. However, if you don't care about Kelly dying and you go and get go to the Derelict Reaper earlier and get Legion earlier, one, because once you advance more things, you actually get a lot more dialogue with them because dialogue options back on your ship unlock after like main missions. Mm -hmm. So you actually, if you don't get Re uh, Legion early, you actually miss a lot of dialogue that he tells. He, he gives mm -hmm. Legion's actually a pretty cool lore dump, but you have to get him early to not to get it all. Who's, who's However, Kelly in Mass Effect? She's your yeoman. She's the one basically like, you know, she's not one of the crew. Well, she's a crew member, but she's not one of your parties. She's just, she's there. Wait, wait, like, so there's a, because I thought pretty much the whole crew dies except for whoever you take on to the Reaper ship. No, Is that not? No, they get, no. And it's none of your party members, but the crew gets taken by the collectors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get you get time for one mission, and then if if you go after one mission, and actually it's after one mission that they they take all the people off your ship off your. Uh, but it's uh, that is if you if you have done other things and if you go do other missions, Kelly dies. I, I don't remember if anybody else in the crew dies, but uh, you see her die. Why if you go after one mission. Have. Nothing really. Game. It's just nothing really. And granted, it's all at the end. It's at the suicide mission. It's at the end of the game. Yeah, um, yeah. It's just she's dead and you lose her if if you go do other stuff. Okay. If you go straight after one mission to the suicide mission, it's a random colonist that you see die. Um, okay. So, I mean, I don't like to lose Kelly. So, I, you know, I try to, you know, I do everything else in the game before I go do that. The the derelict reaper mission and then I get Legion and I go on Legion's loyalty mission and then I go do the suicide mission. And it kind of okay. sad to do that, but that's if you want Kelly to live. If you don't care if Kelly dies and you go do other stuff. One, if you never go get Tally and you have Legion, well, Legion's a Geth. The Koreans hate Geth. You can take yeah. Legion with you on Kelly's recruitment mission. And it's funny, like uh, Cal Rieger, who is voiced by Adam Baldwin, actually, but like you come up to the part where you talk to him and he's like, Commander, you've got a geth behind you. And like, yeah, he's with me. It's just it's just funny little dialogue that they thought of. Like <laughs> they actually pay attention 
to who's in your party and how that would be bad. Now, sadly, it doesn't extend to the fact that, like, basically you can go to the Citadel, you can go to Ilium, you can go to all the little, like, hub worlds in that game with Legion in your party and no one bats an eye at the fact that you have a Geth chilling with you, which really, mm-hmm. like, he sh- like they should be, like, shooting at him, like, right off the bat. But, you know, they don't care. You can also take Legion with you on Tally's loyalty mission, which is a ton of fun. And she's even saying something like when you first go there, she's like, Shepard, I'm not sure this is a good idea. And you open the door opens and like all the Koreans are pointing guns at you because you have a guest with you in your party. Um, but you get to, and it's in the context of it, you think that does not go very well for her treason trial. And she shows up <laughs> with a guest. Um, yeah. But they even go to extent of like when you interview like all the admirals and get their opinion on things like, they talk to Legion and Legion talks to them. It's very cool. Yeah. And if you have done that in three, when the admirals, the Korean admirals are on your ship and Legion comes on your ship, they're like, Oh Legion, we remember you. It's very cool that they thought of that. Just cool little dialogue. Huh. That I yeah. didn't know. I, yeah. I didn't take Legion on with, on with me to the Korean Hy- ship. Hypothetically so. speaking, you shouldn't get Legion until like the end of the game. Um, yeah. And it, it's sad because I, I wish you got Legion sooner because it's great. I mean, Wait, there's probably a mod where I can fix it and that'd be cool. So I don't lose Kelly, but uh, there's like such weird details in two and three. Like if you do, if you complete like, and I was showing you this cause you were like, well, well your decision to like Talia dying in three shouldn't matter by what your choices in two, but it does. Cause I sent you that, that link that essentially shows you like, if you don't do this mission, the exact right way like oh i lost legion in the suicide mission is what happened so i had legion be the hacker because i was like well legion should be that like he's the tech guy right like which i've done that he works it does work it does work loyalty i had all all of my characters had their loyalty mission everything but for some reason there was a cut scene where they're trying to close the doors and legion is is one of them that dies and i was like what the fuck how that happened like who was the leader of your other party? Oh, uh, probably because uh, uh, I had the the Asari Justar um, Justicar, Justicar yeah. as my uh, as my. No, I had Jax as the person that was leading that was shielding me. So I think I had the the other Asari lead the other team. Well, she dies before that, or if the 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 like the hacker going through the tunnels is before the shield, um, so. Here, so aside from, okay, you need at least three. So I did, by the way, another cool detail in Mass Effect 2, everyone can die. Yeah. And I I did that once just to see it. I didn't want to, but I was like, okay, I've got to see this. Basically, you only do the main missions, including Shepard. It's, at the end, it's Joker talking to uh, the elusive man. No Um, shit. Yes. No wait. So then, how does three start? Because if, if if you can't if, you can't import done. you can't import a game into three from that one. Oh shit! Wow, that's a, that's really impressive that they. That it they is. Were able it's to cool. Do that. So basically, so if you want everyone to die, don't upgrade any weapons. Only do baseline missions. If a character is technically so, do not in, do not recruit Zaid or. or Kasumi, which technically they were DLC characters, but mm-hmm. so you don't recruit Z- Zaid or Kasumi. You do not 
uh, wake up Grunt. You leave Grunt in the tank. Okay. You do not wake up Legion, or you give Legion to Cerberus. And you have nobody's loyalty, and you don't do any of the ship upgrades. And then, on the suicide mission, you have to make all the wrong decisions. And if you make all the wrong decisions, everyone dies. Okay. So and that being so said, then how do they destroy the get or the uh, the uh, Reaper? You, they destroy it, but nobody makes it out. Like, nobody makes it out. Okay. And like by at the end, when all that shit happens, like the two people that are with Shepard are dead, and Shepard's running, and he jumps for Joker on the ship, and he doesn't make it, and he falls to his death. That's hilarious. That's awesome. What a yep. way to so, like kind of strip that out. That's cool. Yeah. And so yeah, obviously you can do things if you want to. So people, uh, you know, maybe so-and-so does. And see, a lot of them don't even make it. Like, Jack and Thane, I think, didn't even get to the collector base. Like, just the flight in, they got blown up or something like that. Oh, that's fucking so, funny. <laughs> so, so, yeah, then you get there, and they're not even available. And also, like, you don't when you do rescue your crew from the pods, you don't send yeah. anybody back with them, and they die. They don't make it they back. They all die, yeah. Yeah, so. they, didn't, they didn't make it back to the ship. Uh, so that being said, so in the first thing, here's, here's the, obviously you need everyone's loyalty. You need at least, you need three of the ship upgrades. The other ones don't really matter. They just, uh, make the gameplay better. You need the armor upgrade you get from Jacob. Mm -hmm. You need the shield upgrade you get from Tali and you need the cannon upgrade you get from Karis. The other ones are just for like your probes and stuff like that, or they make your fuel like you make make a bigger fuel tank. Simple yeah. stuff. They don't matter. Those three matter. Weapon upgrades. I don't know if they matter or not. Everyone's loyalty, and then on the suicide mission, you either need to in the in the tunnel. You need to either send Tali, Legion, or Kasumi. Mm-hmm. And then the leader of the other party is either Garrus or Miranda. And then the same is true for the second time you have another party, either Garrus or Miranda. I usually switch it up, like Miranda one time, Garrus the other. And then for the biotic, either Samara or Jack. I prefer to use Jack. Any biotic can do it, but you want your like true actual biotics. Yeah, like yeah. So Jack, the, is probably, Jack is probably the most powerful out of those two, though. So or or the sorry, so Samara. If you went that way, which it's a, I, I don't even on my like most renegade of renegade playthroughs, I still don't like Morinth. I side with Samara over Morinth. However, yeah, I, mean, I do at least one time I side with Morinth because on subsequent playthroughs where you get their like special ability, like Shepard gets an additional ability, I like Morinth. So I have like one playthrough where I've sided with Morinth, so I have her dominate ability. I just like it better than Samara's Reeve ability. Um, okay. so Samara's like special ability like steals health. Uh, uh, Morinth like takes over a mind. Like you control a person for a little bit. Um, did I you uh, did you ever do the romance yeah. option with Morinth just to see how, how it went? Just to see it, yeah. I did it just to see it. So yeah. So those are your uh, those are the choices you make. So yeah, for the two times you have to select a different leader, either Garrus or Miranda. For this, uh, for the, um. Biotic, either Samara or Jack, and for the tech person in the tunnels, Legion 
Kasumi or Tali. That's it. Um, okay. Th- those are the decisions. So side mission again, one of the little details, and I tried it with Jacob. Jacob doesn't, it doesn't matter with Jacob. Um, Oh, speaking of though, when they when you like, I'm gonna send some when you rescue your crew and you're like, I'm gonna send some back with you. I always just pick Jacob just because eh, I don't really use him for much. Runt actually is who I, I pick. I, I don't think it matters who you pick. It just no, I, they just I need really, someone. Yeah, and it's like oh, I'm not really gonna use Jacob, so I always use him. Um, but I have tried it with Jacob this with Jacob, and it doesn't do anything. Uh, mm-hmm. But with Miranda, it does. So with that last part, the very final part where you pick your party and everyone else is going to hold every, the collectors off. If you take Miranda with you. And then at the end of the game, when you decide if you defy the elusive man and you're going to blow up the base. Yeah. If you side with him and just use the purge or whatever, it doesn't matter. But if you're like, no, screw you, I'm going to blow the space up. He tries to tell Miranda to stop you. And Miranda's like, no. And he's like, I gave you an order. He's like, I heard. Consider this my resignation. Just a little extra detail, a little extra throwaway line. So yeah, yeah. Um, I, do, I, do, I think I've always chosen Miranda uh, because it's like one of those situations like she can't die if she's with me, and I think I've always romanced Miranda. Always, every time. I think so. Yeah, I think she's. I tried the Morinth one just one time, just for the hell of it. Um, well, like you said, you just die if you. Romance, before. yeah, you just, it's just dead. You, but I you just can't, want to see, what and you can't romance tomorrow. Yes, um, um, and I never. Uh, I know that you can romance Kelly, Kelly whatever her name is. Uh, yeah, but I but never hers did. is weird. Hers is weird, and I've only seen it once. And I think if there's some mistake you made going away, it doesn't matter. Obviously, you can't be in a romance with anybody else. And her romance, yeah. because she gets kidnapped by the collectors, her romance scene, which is kind of hot, I'm not gonna lie, but. It doesn't happen until after the suicide mission. She does a little yeah. dance for you in, in your uh, cabin. Uh. So, like, as far as the whole reason why I think I've always romanced Miranda is because what it, like, entails, like, for part three, like, you then have, like, more choices in part three based upon that romance. Well, it's kind of true for everyone. Um, no, because, like, in part three, then Ashley, Lieutenant Ashley comes back into play. And yeah, then, but you then can choose the, the love can, triangle, like then Miranda's suddenly back in the picture, and you're like, well, yeah. there's a love triangle can, going. You can choose to continue your romance with one of them. Yeah, um, exactly. Which I did in my first playthrough, which I don't know if I did something wrong, but I was pissed. So, like, my very first playthrough of three ever with the Citadel DLC, by the way. So I had rekindled my romance with Ashley, and at the party, she hooked up with fucking, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, I'm like what the hell? Like my shepherd's getting cheated on at his own party. Like he, she she hooked up uh, with someone. I didn't know that that would happen. What's his, uh, Vega? I was I couldn't remember his name. He's only in three. So yeah, at a, a party you can have it. So they hook up, but it was like it happened on like my playthrough where I was romancing Ashley. I was like, what the hell? Like what the hell is going on here? Uh, what? I didn't yeah. know that they would hook up. Yeah. Now they do. This isn't in the Citadel DLC, but just cool little things. Uh, the two engineers hook up, Gabby and Ken. It's towards the end of three. You can go down into like the sub level of the engine room, and they're like making out. And then if you have not romanced Garrus or Tali, they hook up, and you find them. And I just find that so sweet. 
If if you didn't if you're a male ship and didn't romance Tali, you're a female ship and you didn't romance Garrus. Garrus and Tali hook up, and that's just cute to me. Um, Where do you find that at? It's in the in it's in the uh, the room that Garrus is in the the, the gun battery. Uh, but it's yeah, just kind of close to me. Oh yes, yeah. bunch of cool, it's just cool little details like that. Uh, She's making out though with her helmet on. Mm-hmm. She is. Okay. A little awkward. <laughs> because it's a whole thing. Because in in lore they both have uh, dextro based amino acids, so Turians and Corians are kind of similar biologically speaking. So there is a okay. there's a lot of things about Turian Corian romances to include the chick flick. Fleet and Flotilla, which yeah, in this... I was gonna say, is it, wasn't there like a in, in the Citadel? I think in one of the um, I can't remember if it's in two or three. No, 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 no. It's it's in the um, but there's like a whole side conversation about this. Tour yeah, this, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's in two. It's at the bar on Ilium where he's talking about that, and he's trying to. She's talking about he's, getting out of a bad relationship with a human. Yeah. And he's trying to get out of the friend zone and he's trying to, he's trying to hook up with her and she's yeah. talking about her, her breakup with a human. And yeah. And he's just like, humans are pigs. And the entire time you're like, dude, you're such a simp. And, and, I, and I, you know, and it's why those games are, those are just one of the small details to make those games great. There are so many amazing, hilarious conversations going on okay. in the background. In that very same bar, there's like the bachelor party and they're talking about the Asari stripper. Like that yep. dialogue is hilarious. Um, there's uh, some funny conversations going down with the Volus and, and Ilium in two is probably the best for a lot of those side conversations. Um, there is one in three uh, with a woman, a human woman and her Asari lover and she's tired about breaking it off with her human husband while he's out because she's having an affair with the Sasari and, you know, husband's having combat. And so she's trying to discuss with her lover, like how to break it off with him. And she's just like, you know, you know, a message just be so impersonal or an email and he's, he's off, you know, he's fighting in the war, you know, I don't want to yeah. hurt him and things like that. And she's, just, and, and the Asari just, you know, cheering her on, cheering her on, you know, whatever's best for you, best for you. And as soon as she kind of brings up, like, talking about her, she's like, wait a minute. I don't need to be a part of this. She's like, well, you're the reason my marriage is ending. She's like, look, no, it's not like that. You're just unhappy. And like, it's just so it's, just, and you can actually like, you see the affair deteriorate and they get into a fight. Like, if you keep paying attention to the conversations. Yeah. <laughs> It's that just, is awesome. There's just a whole bunch of little, little, like, if you pay attention to the background conversations, there's a lot of, like, one, cool lore, but two, just funny little moments like that. Um, yeah. And they bleed in. I, well, there are conversations that happen in two that end up in three, too, aren't there? Like, follow-ups so, from, like, things that you might have heard? Sometimes. Uh, I don't know if anything, like, just background conversations like that. I don't know. I mean, okay, so these games in of itself, like you could tell that like BioWare went above and beyond as far as two and three, probably because at the end of the day, they were able to get put more money in the game because yes. of, you as know. As much as EA is like an evil corporation, like 
the influx of budget in two and three was very noticeable and at least in my opinion very much appreciated yeah they added i mean they just added everything they added lore they increased they improved the gameplay they added lore they fleshed out their world building so what happened with andromeda <sighs> what didn't happen with andromeda <laughs> because i hate andromeda like i think it's one of it's it's boring like it is it is boring not only that but then you have a lot of the woke narrative happening in it um, so that, was that and have, that was already even that i mean you could technically say that was going in all the way back with the original mass effect but it got worse with each yeah. game as they started having like same sex relationships and then mass effect 3 had same sex male relationships now you have to go through mass effect with dragon age and pair them together because they were doing a lot of the same things. So it started with Dragon Age Inquisition, which is what the first game they made after 3. And that was when they switched over to the Frostbite engine. So, And that was why Dragon Age Inquisition and Mass Effect Andromeda were like true open-world games mm-hmm. with expansive environments. And then also, they, they'd use the Frostbite engine for a couple other things. And Dragon Age Inquisition had a trans character, and so Mass Effect Andromeda had a trans character, and all these things like that. Um, sucked to Mass Effect Andromeda because far and away the sexiest person in the game was the uh, science officer on your ship. That you know, cute little redhead with the thick Scottish accent. Mm. Mm. But she only played for the other team, so you had to be a female writer to romance her, unless you use mods. Uh, yeah. Which you know just suck because yeah, cute little ginger with a Scottish accent, just sexy. Uh, it's the reason why I'm in love with Karen Gillian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so a lot of the hate and drama that got well, one it was buggy as all hell when it came out, and a lot of that got fixed. Mm-hmm. But yes, when you talk about it being boring, oh. Uh, I think open world kind of ruined those games because they're not that interesting. And again, I didn't have a lot of the hate for the Mass Effect Andromeda because when people were, were showing all that hate, except for the bugs and all the glitches that were happening when the game first came out, I was sitting here thinking, like, where were all you people for Dragon Age Inquisition? Because apparently everyone yeah. loved Dragon Age Inquisition, and I thought that game was boring as hell. Now, granted, the story to Dragon Age Inquisition is still fantastic. I uh, still love the story to it. And actually, the final DLC that's the true ending of it was amazing. Completely turned the world on its on its head. Rewrote all the lore of the game. I mean, all the lore. So that was all cool. But the gameplay was just a slog. And that game is so big. And there's just so much of it. And it just, it just turned so boring. Mass Effect Andromeda is big, but not as a big, not as big as Dragon Age Inquisition, which is a point of The combat, to my opinion, in Dragon in Mass Effect Andromeda is actually pretty fun. I like the jetpack. I like using a jetpack. I like the different classes because there's so many skill points in Mass Effect Andromeda that you can basically have like a complete tech build, and then you could actually like switch classes to like biotics or something like that. It was a very cool idea. I did like it. The starting, uh, the the Ket weren't a very interesting villain. 
The Angara were not a very interesting new race, so that much is cool. But when the credits rolled in that game, it was done. I was genuinely curious to find out about the Scourge. What was up with the Scourge? What was going on with that? I wanted to know more about the murder mystery. Like, who? I can't remember the name of the woman that was the the brainchild, or, or I'm sorry, the Andromeda Initiative was her brainchild, and she was murdered. And you're you started. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I literally, I think I played like two hours, and I was oh, done. Oh, yeah. Like a good so, yeah, so she was the, uh, I'm trying to remember what her name was. So, like, the Andromeda Initiative was her idea. It was her baby. But she's dead in Andromeda, and it turns out she was murdered. And you start digging into her murder mystery. I was intrigued. Who killed her? I was intrigued about this the scourge that's like blocking out all those planets. Like that was what ruined the trip kind of thing. There was a DLC slated for Mass Effect Andromeda that was a Corian arc. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were gonna there was gonna be a fifth arc that came later, and I was gonna add a whole. I was genuinely interested in all this, but the game was so poorly received that all of that got canceled, and I'm kind of sad. It had so many problems out the gate, but really Mass Effect Andromeda did have a lot going for it. It still had the same problem that Dragon Age Inquisition had, is that the game that kind of game does not translate well to huge open world. Okay. Uh, basically, because it's just not... The open world isn't that interesting. It's same, that, that was the same problem in Dragon Age as it was in Mass Effect Andromeda. Now... The Dark Souls people, and I know you don't like the Souls people, but they just took their crack at it with Elden Ring, and in my opinion, they did very good at that, where they were making a true huge open-world game, because that game is massive. Yeah. Uh, so, there's that. I, The villain in Andromeda was just kind of a waste. Because it wasn't Geth at this point, right? Like Geth no, because you're, you're, you're in a whole other galaxy. There's no quarantine. Yeah, but Geth are still there. Right? No, no, you're in a whole other galaxy. Um, I thought Geth were okay. Maybe I'm wrong. Okay. And now that leads no, there's no Geth. Uh, there are these quote unquote remnants of because then that's again who's this lost ancient race that built all these planets? Because basically these planets were terraformed by super machines, and okay. and they're just called the remnant because you don't know who they were or what happened to them, but you, you deal with their little sentry robots that were left behind. Um, who were they? Why, you know, they had these massive terraforming, basically just these huge underground caverns on these unlivable planets that terraformed them. And that's kind of the recurring theme in Mass Effect Andromeda is all the different planets you go to are sort of habitable, but there's something really wrong with them. And you basically go down into the underground cavern and fix the computer, and it starts correcting the world like the world becomes more and more habitable after that and that's a reoccurring thing like one of them is just too hot another's too cold another one's like toxic another one's like radioactive but yeah and you fix it um i love the galaxy map in andromeda um but i always love the galaxy map in mass effects okay so i'm i was kind of sad i thought andromeda kind of got a bad rap but it was too... Yes, the open world doesn't help it. The bugs that happened early on were a huge problem. Absolutely, no no mistaking it. But the game really did try to come into its own. Now, from a lore perspective, also, got to kind of backtrack, the feasibility of what the Andromeda Initiative was 
shouldn't have been possible. But they just kind of, and this is also kind of getting to what I said about the Reapers. That was the problem with writing the Reapers as a villain. They were just this stopgap. So it was, oh, well, we want to make another Mass Effect because they're really popular. But how do you, you can't make a game after the Reapers. Yeah. So that was where the idea of, let's just go to another galaxy. Hence, Andromeda was born. But it was just, that shouldn't be possible. The technology to cross dark space from that Milky Way to Andromeda in the Mass Effect universe should not be possible. And you just kind of had to gloss over all that. And again, it was why, all why to is escape. It not possible in that game, though? Because of the, the energy requirements it would require, and also the speed. Um, you don't get very much into actual what actual FTL travel is. Uh, in one of the codexes in Mass Effect 3, they talk about, like, again, that's one of the other things about Reapers is they're faster in FTL. And it's they can be up to 26 times of light speed in their faster than light travel, which apparently at 26 no. times light speed is faster than any sentient race ship, but faster than any Turian or human or Asari ship in the game. So Mass Effect Andromeda, though, like the story technically starts, like the, the whole Andromeda initiative takes place before Mass Effect 1, right? No. And then it's like a thousand years in the it's, future or something? It's 600 years in the future. And so that's the thing. It's Andromeda is 3 million light years away, like 2.6, yeah, yeah. million light years away. It took 600 years to cross dark space. So it's 600 years in the future. That's freaking fast. Yeah, that's really fast. So again, and you didn't have any kind of cryostasis or anything like that in the Mass Effect universe. Now you had cryostasis that lasted 600 years. Um, it, it was just, it's, it was a neat idea. And again, it was a neat idea. I, I'll just leave it at that. And then I also, I love the, in my science fiction, I love the idea of being outside this galaxy. Over yeah. the majority of our space traveling Science fiction is still in this galaxy because it's so, all—it's what we know. Yeah, well, and just that's just how big space is. So, anytime you get science fiction that leaves this galaxy, I'm on board. I love it because um, even Star Trek is still this galaxy, isn't it? I, I'm all—I'm not a huge Trekkie fan, but it's like you know the galaxy is divided up into four quadrants, mm -hmm. um, and I think the whole thing with Deep Space Nine was that they found out basically a wormhole that shortcuts two different quadrants together. So you don't have to cross through all that space to get to them. And I think that's the yeah, premise of what got, Deep Space Nine starts on. Then you've got Star Trek Voyager, which technically takes them through that wormhole. Into I, see, I don't friend. know what about any of that. Yeah. And I do the little bit, because I tried to watch Next Generation once on Netflix. And I, I got like most of the way through season one and I lost interest. But there was some episode early in Next Generation that they were going to leave the edge of the galaxy. And it was a big deal. The fact that they were going to go outside the galaxy edge was a big deal. Yeah. So, people who know Trek better than I do would be better than that. Wouldn't, wouldn't have I mean, know better than I about outside of this galaxy. Right. But, yeah. yeah. To, to my understanding, you know, Star Trek almost entirely inside the Milky Way. Okay. That was always something that I was trying to figure out too. Was like, all right, so. Mass Effect Andromeda comes out, ruins everything, and now they're coming out with five, which nobody really knows what that's about. 
based upon the teaser, well, we're thinking it's with I still don't know anything about it. Um, I am the teaser I saw. I am pretty sure that you see an Asari in it. I'm pretty sure it's Liara. Yeah, pretty sure. Like, um, why show an Asari if it's not Liara? And the fact that Liara that Asari's lived for thousands of years, why not? Getting is another beer. What what beer are you getting this time, John? Uh, I'm trying my shandy here. My <laughs> line and hugel. Light line and hugel. The Germans are like smacking us upside the head. They're like, Probably. no. <laughs> well, they don't want me to mispronounce it. They should try winning a war. <laughs> oh, shit. You literally, in just like one sentence, like basically pissed them off. <laughs> wow. Wow. The angry emails that we will not get because they don't know. <laughs> so um, I guess what we were trying to accomplish with this tonight was, I don't know. You less so, because I was the one that brought up well, the idea of talking about talk, this tonight. But I am, a, I am just a tremendous Mass Effect fan. So I uh-huh. feel like I have enough. I mean, I've never read the extended universe novels or anything okay. like that, but I feel say like something real quick. You are a Mass Effect fan, but have you read all the books and everything else? But I literally just said I hadn't. So. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, way back, it's. I don't think you can get it anymore. On um, there was a mobile game. That I started, replays this like Cerberus operative. Uh, okay. I never got very far in it. Um, I, the controls weren't very intuitive, I guess you could say. Uh, but no, I've actually read all the codex. I paid attention to it. I've been on Wiki for stuff and learned other things. Going back to the small kind of details, um, I'd always known the one. If you take, so I was trying to see if there's conversation about it. So. When you first see Liara in 2, I took Garrus and Tali with me to see if Liara would acknowledge them. She doesn't. I took Garrus and Tali with me to meet Rex on Vermeer, or on, not Vermeer, okay, on Tachanka. He doesn't acknowledge him. I was like, well, that kind of sucks. Uh, but I always knew, and then, so I was going to try to see if I took Tali on the recruitment mission for uh, Garrus. I knew that the Horizon mission, which you have to get through to make Tali available, doesn't trigger until you get Morden. But I found out the part way with this one, it also doesn't trigger if you don't have Garrus, which sucks. So you have to recruit Garrus before Tali. Okay. Which sucks because I wanted to take I wanted to take Tali with me on the Garrus recruitment mission to see if there's any dialogue about it. Um so there are missions where you take if you take a specific character with you and you don't necessarily have any indication that you t- should take them with you, that there's just a little line they say or something like that, that's cool. Uh, there's nothing telling you right off the bat that you should take Garrus with you on Morden's loyalty mission. However, there's a funny line he says if you do when you first get to the hospital. And he's like, ah, oh, hospitals aren't fun to fight in or aren't fun to fight through. And you're like, what is fun to fight through? And he's like, oh, you know, gardens. Uh, what, I can't remember what he says. Garden, something else, and then antique stores, but only if they're really classy. It's just a funny line. Um, uh, 
Kasumi says funny stuff. When you if you take Kasumi with you on the recruitment mission for Tali, so you're on that planet that the sun is like burning everything. So the whole Tali recruitment mission, you have to stay in the shadows because your shield yeah. depletes in the sunshine. So when you first get there, they all say something. Like yeah. some acknowledgement of their shield burning down. Um Kasumi's funny. I don't know everyone's what everyone says off the top of my head because I haven't taken everyone ever on those missions. But Kasumi's like, uh, "Can we get out of the sun? I'm wearing black here." Um, just funny line. She also, if you take her on the derelict reaper mission, she says something funny about rats. Um, it's like I couldn't get much worse. Well, I suppose it could if there were rats, something like that. Just little funny throwaway lines. I did always know Kasumi. Like, I just did Recruiter, her, and I, that was it. Like, I just, I, I've never I don't, played as me. I, I don't really dig her ability, so I don't use her much. Okay. But, uh, so, yeah, I took her with me on the Tali recruitment mission, and that was funny. She's like, can we get out of the sun? I'm, I'm wearing black here. This is a little funny line. Um, I did always know if he took Zaid on the recruitment mission for Garrus, he knows the leader of the Blue Suns. So, like, oh, when sure. when Tarek, it's a Batarian named Tarek, he's like, get this freelancer out of here, and Zaid's like, Tarek, what's eating your ass? It's like, Zaid? Since when do you work for so little? And it, it's just this little line. I did not know, because I'd never done this before, if you have Grunt, and you take Grunt on that mission, the, the Krogan leader of the Blood Pack says, young one, why are you why are you, uh, with this human. And it basically, he tries to basically recruit grunt out from behind you. Like he tries to take grunt from you. It doesn't work, but it's just, and he actually shoots one of his Vorcha in the head. Like the head goes flying across the room. It's this weird cutscene. but it's like, Oh, and I just learned that existed this playthrough. Cause I was like, oh, I'm going to take grunt with me. And sure enough, it turns out that there's never knew that happened. I thought maybe if you took Morden with you, then the uh, Solarian leader of the Eclipse would say something, but no, they don't say anything. Um, Wait, though, because Garrus's, recu- re- uh, Garrus's recruiting mission, though, is on the same planet as Morden and Zaid. Yeah, the asteroid on Omega, yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. That you have, like, I can't remember if I recruited Garrus before the other two. Well, Zaid, you know though, we're... you recruit when you get off the ship. So never mind. The very first, He's time, like the very right first person he... you encounter is Zaid. Yes. Um, and then a lot of them say funny. So to go on the, to get Morden, because it's a plague that kills all races except humans. Yeah. If you have an all human party with you, there's no problem. Yeah. But I thought it just it, kills Turians. No, it kills everything but humans. Oh, okay. Well, and, and Vorcha, but because Vorcha are immune to disease. But yeah, if, like Garrus is nervous. Like you have to like talk Garrus into going with you if you really want Garrus in your party. Um, and then Grunt acts tough, but there's actually a part like you're going through the map if you have Grunt with you and he starts because he's like you ask him about it and he's like, I don't get sick. And then once you're in there somewhere, he starts coughing and he's like, I don't get sick. Like, <laughs> I and had then, so I had Garrus and then once you because I remember also, but I remember sending him back because it was too risky. Yeah, but it, it doesn't matter. Like 
you don't have to worry about losing a party member, but they're all like, uh, cause you get to more. And again, so, but yeah, grunt, he starts coughing and he's like, I don't get sick, <laughs> but he's coughing. And then once you get to more than like, more than like cures him, um, oh, that's awesome. just okay. quick little details, you know, it's, it's cool that they added these things. So what are the flaws though? Like when we started talking, you were like, there are flaws here that, that bug you. So what are these flaws? Yeah, well, yeah. Now, now that I'm on the spot, I'm not going to remember them, but just little like, <laughs> I don't know, errors in the lore uh, where they kind of forget their own. And, and yeah, if I sat here and thought about them long enough, I don't want to like just sit here in dead space trying to think of them. Um, yeah, that makes sense. You should have written them down because I, I, I was gonna, I, I knew that I was going to bring them up because I, I just, yeah. to me, the games don't really like have flaws necessarily in those well, ways, but I don't look at the narrative in the same way. It's, right? it's just a little oversight. And, um, I know reading a lot of the planet things, uh, actually the write-ups on the planet when you're exploring. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, well, fears for like one example, like you're, you go to these planets in Mass Effect 2 and it's just like, no, these are in Geth space. Yeah. You know, Geth have been sighted in this area. And then, so you go to a different star in that same system and it's like, here's this human colony with like 6 million people. Like, uh, is this in Geth space or not? Like, what? <laughs> yeah. uh, why are they? Why are they putting a habitat and get space where it's going to constantly get attacked? Yeah, it's yeah, it's so it's just things like that. Um, I've noticed. Um, so, do you subscribe to the Game Theories channel? I do. Are you t- going to talk about the indoctrination theory? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like how how they so, believe that like it's Shepard is is technically indoctrinated, and that's what, like part I'd of heard, basically his indoctrination. I've, I've heard the theory before, and that theory like sprung up like hours after like people started finishing Mass Effect Three, and they were all pissed off at the ending. Mm-hmm. And so like the forums are flooded with all these people like the end of Mass Effect Three is bullshit, blah blah blah. And it was like right after that the indoctrination theory became a thing. Interesting and. I I think it's a valid idea in the context of the rules of Mass Effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think Matt Pat in Game Theory did a very good, made a very good argument for it. Granted, he was supposed to make a part two, and he never did. So that's is sucks. Game Theory still even around? Like, do I they still release new stuff? He stopped doing Game Theory. So he started with Film Theory. He added Game Theory. And another one I'm not even going to bring up. And then he started doing food theory. And I think after a while, because food, food theory and film theory, I think he stopped doing game theory. Okay. But don't quote me on that. Um, what is food theory? I've never heard of food theory. Food theory is kind of fun. Um, is, he, is he just talking about food? Yeah. Well, he, he makes theory, like, he, he talks about, like, different, it's almost kind of like Mythbusters for food. Um, oh, okay. Cool. Uh, granted, he did one about the Kool Aid Man that he really probably, you know what? I think he, Matt Pat owes me like $5,000. Like, that's damages for watching his Kool Aid Man one. Like, that was just dumb. <laughs> like, <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, especially when you compare it to the other food theories he did, um, where it was le- like legitimate, like, science that kool-aid man one is just straight autism 
Um, I, it's funny. I just have never heard of like food theory, so I have no clue that he's still. Yeah, it's, a, it's a fun channel. Okay, my daughter um, likes it a lot too. Um, all right. so the indoctrination. I, mean, I think the game developers have denied the indoctrination theory within the confines and the rules of Mass Effect universe. Indoctrin theory, indoctrination theory is sound and makes sense. Okay. And it also kind of brings up things at the end. So the idea is, and I, if I don't 100% quote me on this, but if I'm not mistaken, destroy is the canon ending. Uh, not control and not synthesis, if I remember correctly. Destroy, yes, destroy is the canon ending. It is the canon ending. And so the whole... Which will probably come out in Mass Effect 5. One of the things that comes up with that being the indoctrination theory. So the whole game, you have equated blue with Paragon, red with Renegade. Yes. In that ending, in the end, it's reversed. Destroy is equated with red, and Control is equated with blue. And now Synthesis is equated with green, but it was like a third option. But basically, okay. because you are indoctrinated... The Reapers have you. They want you to do either control or synthesis because they don't actually... You're indoctrinated. You're in your own head. They don't mean anything. That's what they actually want you to do. But you have the ability to destroy. And they're just trying to talk you out of it. And basically, like, if you do the destroy ending, you have powered through the indoctrination at least one last time before you died or whatever. You were able to overcome it maintain your willpower. So, so the they view the kid as the indoctrination. Yes. And that's and the game three, he goes heavily into that. The kid is like the symbol of indoctrination. Um which he sees throughout all of yes. part three. That's why that's why the nightmares with the kid and that's why he chose that. Yes. The the kid is like the the totem of indoctrination. Okay. In in, in if in the indoctrination theory. By the way, there is a fourth ending. Um, what is that? I'm not sure if there is a way. To, it's not a you don't get an achievement for it or everything like that. I've done it once. It's kind of cool. Um, I don't know if there's another way to trigger it. I triggered it by using my gun to shoot at the kid at the hologram. Okay. And if that like his voice changes, he's no longer the kid. You actually hear. I think it's Harbinger's voice. Like you hear the Reaper voice come through. And he's like, no, now you die. And I don't remember how, it, I don't remember the actual phrasing, but basically just saying like, you have failed and now the harvest will continue. And Shepard just kind of looks down at defeat. And so it's basically just the Reapers win. However, it brings up those capsules that Liara was seeding throughout the galaxy. Mm -hmm. And basically saying, it says, so yeah, like we lost, the Reapers won. But because of those capsules, the next cycle knew about the Reapers and was ready for them. So even though, like, the efforts of Shepard and everybody couldn't stop it this time, basically they laid the groundwork for the next cycle to stop it. So that leaves a really good question then, because then if maybe part four or five, whatever we want to call it, like, where in the, like, cycle does it actually happen? Do you think the Reapers come back? 
Mm, I don't think so, but who knows? Like, who do you have as a big bad that's worse than the Reapers? And that's also why the Reapers were kind of a pro. They were a problematic villain because it was just too big, too big. Yeah, because again, the the act of defeating them was literally world shattering. Well, and in of itself, like, how do you like when you have a villain that's too big and you want to continue the story? Like, how do you like? What story do you tell after this? Right? Like, what's worse than the Reapers ever? Like, what is going to be worse than the Reapers? And that's so now that's is this Mass Effect game just going to be a cash grab or what? Could be like, like EA realizing that Andromeda wasn't the type of game that that people wanted, and so now they're Mm. bringing back Shepard as a cash grab, right? They're like, well, can we find a way to bring Shepard back? I just, I don't know, I don't know anything about this game, so it's it's like Toy Story 5. (laughs) <laughs> right? Like, Pixar's like, all of our other movies suck, so let's make Toy Story 5. Which ended up sucking. Well, I'm just joking, because they haven't made Toy Story 5. They've, it was Toy Story 4 was the last oh, one. Oh, okay. The one with Keanu Reeves, and I didn't... Like, Wait, Keanu Reeves was in Toy Story 4? Yeah. No I just, shit. I just know it, like, vanished. Like, I don't even think I know anyone who saw it. I, I mean, it's on Disney+. Plus. Oh, hold on one second. I need to look this shit up. Keanu Reeves, Toy Story. Was he, he was not in Toy Story. There's no way. Holy shit, he was. Duke Kaboom. That's hilarious. Yeah, I had no clue. Kinda, <laughs> I almost feel like that was kind of Cyberpunk's thing, too. Like, oh, we need a big name to sell this because it's going to be a shit game. Mm-hmm. Also, I didn't even see the third Bill and Ted, so... You know, okay, that wasn't too bad, but it's hard when the whole premise of Bill and Ted was that they made this great song that essentially united the world and created peace. And, you know, they were the purveyors of the future. And that was like part one was teaching them how to do it, right? And then part two was like they still needed to do it. And at the end of part two, they did it. And then part three came along and was like, oh, we just, you know, none of that really happened. Like they didn't really, re- they didn't really create the song that they were supposed to create. So it was like, then what was part three all about? Like part two all about? You basically undid everything you, you did, you know? So, um, yeah. We're going off on a tangent again, so. Of course. Um, it is interesting because I'm reading this real quick. Like the destroy ending is basically not agreed that it's canon. Like even the Bioware or EA has not come out and said it's canon. It's just that they're now alluding to it at this point. Mm-hmm. So by the by, what we've seen as far as the teasers for the new Mass Effect game. So you know. Who knows? Who knows? We'll see. Um. All right, man. Well, I don't know. Was it? Was there anything else to add to it? Because we, we can we can we can go there. Like what I was bringing up earlier. Yeah, go there. Go there, man. Go there. Hey, yeah, yeah. Put me, put me on the spot. <laughs> 
mean, this is really kind of your like you 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 brought this topic up, so I like well, it's, I, just kind of following along for the it's, you know. it's something I noticed years and years ago, and I just uh, I didn't. Uh, I was always hesitant to bring it up because I'm like, am I the only one to see this? So I did look up and I did find a Reddit post that somebody else, although they were complaining about it, I was just, it's an observation for me. So in the, in the Mass Effect universe, I started thinking about are, and I couldn't, like I said, I couldn't think of a one for one match. Okay. But are these other races of aliens like stand-ins for real life racial stereotypes? <laughs> And like again, so to cover my ass, we'll preface it with like I brought it before when we were discussing like the Ferengi in Star Trek or Space Jews. Space, and this is why, like, so for yeah, the audience, was, like John and I were talking about this beforehand, and John literally brought this up, like the Ferengi, and it was like, yeah, that the Jews of space, like, yeah, Jews in space. If Mel Brooks like wrote any <laughs> character, it would have been the Ferengi. <laughs> so it's just. I, and I'm like, well, it's not me that brought it up. So then I was like, if I bring this up with Mass Effect and nobody else has ever said these things, then obviously it's just a Rorschach test in my mind. And I'm the <laughs> asshole. And I don't want to be the asshole. It's just like, so I was like, am I really the only one that brings it up? So I just, with Mass Effect, and again, I cannot necessarily think of a one for one, although the one of the kind of more out there ones that I didn't know that I was like, oh, this is kind of connects the same person that was complaining about these issues actually brought up the exact same thing. I'm like, cool. I'm not the only one that saw that. So one, I'll just get the obvious one out of the way. Since we already talked about the vape Ferengi, they're space Jews in the mass effect. The yeah. Volus. Oh yeah. 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 That's interesting. A, I, mean, I, would like, never, I guess I would have never quoted that, but they are the business people. They're always selling something yeah. and they're, they're, they're like, banker. And they're yeah. like short and ugly and arrogant. Well, you don't know what they look like, but they're wearing the stupid mask. You don't know right? that. Yeah, and they're, but they're all like pudgy looking, and it's just like, yeah, I don't. And the way they talk, even they just kind of sound like Jews. So I'm just like, please tell me. I'm, hold on, we're gonna hold on. I need to preface something because I am like I may not be Jewish by. Um, uh, uh, religion, but I am Jewish by genetics. Listen. So we're not being anti-Semitic here. <laughs> well, I am, I am Jewish, apparently. All right, so maybe <laughs> maybe I am. I well, think. no, I I have I have Hebrew tattooed all over me. So don't. You yeah, do? yeah. Well, this one I'm getting another one. Oh gosh. Yeah. All right. John hates tattoos. This is why he's like. Yeah, this. I do. I despise tattoos. Um, so anyway, going, so then I was thinking about it. Like I said, I couldn't really think of one with Turians, but I think it's like the Salarians or Asians, like, okay. Uh, little scrawny, high strung. They're all super smart scientists. Like they have the eyes. They I don't really the think eyes. they have the eyes, but I was just like, but yeah, just the mannerisms and the way they talk and the way that they're like the, the scientists of it. Like are Salarians like stand-ins for Asians? Could be. I think the Asari is black, and it's not just the cornrows. I would have gone the other. I would have thought that the the Turians are black. No, I didn't get that from the Turians. And obviously, now the Asari, there are only females. There's no male Asari. And I don't just mean like the head fringe, just like standing for cornrows. I think there are a lot of Asari. If you actually look at them and look at their facial features, they look like black women painted blue, and that's it. 
Liara, uh, Liara and Samara. Samara, definitely. Samara just looks like a black woman painted blue. And I was like... Now, they did make them the smartest race, though, too, in the Mass Effect universe. They did. They, and they made them the most... And actually kind of explained why in mm. later... And I don't even... In the end of 3, you actually find out why they're the... They're the most advanced race. Um, yeah. Solarians, I don't know, you can maybe argue that they're smaller, smarter, maybe. They're just shorter lived, and the Asari live very long. They, they become very philosophical. Um, yeah. And I don't know, maybe and that one might be more of a stretch, but yeah, if you, I think if you look at Asari, they look like black women. They do. Uh, Fair enough. <laughs> and again, this one, I'd, this one just kind of seemed out there, and I was like, did I... Um, not in that, but just uh, but this person, and again, they are complaining about it. They're talking about it's some forum about racism in Mass Effect. Uh, the Quarians are gypsies. Oh, I would have see, I would have figured that though. Like, hands down, if any race like represented another, I will give that because they're they're nomads for one. Like they travel everywhere. They're not uh, welcome anywhere. And and they speak in a Eastern European accent, like it's it's yeah. I'll give that one. Okay, I was I'm like, even all their names are Eastern European. Okay, I don't you you, you know better than I do. I guess. Well, like Talia, like T A L I A, Tali, whatever. It's it's all east. Like all of those names are Eastern European. Even when you get down to like you t- like it's they didn't name any of the commanders John. Or Bill, or like, you know, what, Chenowick? <laughs> I think Chenowick was a name in there, right? Like, uh, no, well, it was like Cal Rieger, Tally Zora, um, Shalom, uh, uh, Rom, Zora, like all of those names. Chorus. I'm trying to remember all the, the admirals' names. Um, anyway, I was just like, I, Am I the asshole for noticing this, or is this real? Like, I was just as a plaintiff, this is this real? No. Are the Salarians Asians? I, I'll give you. I will give you that. that are, they are probably the, do. Are the Vola space Jews? Like, <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> Did you know there's no female Volus? What is up with that? Not, in, not in that you ever see or no, and it, you know, um, there's actually a mod for three that like tries to change the fact that you don't see like the opposite sex of different aliens very often. Okay. Like they actually change, so you actually see more like female Turians on the Citadel and stuff like that. Um. So they, so yeah, they actually change it. This is I'm looking this up. Uh, this is on Reddit. And this is this is a guy asking a question. Let me be clear about this. I'm not trying to be offensive when I ask this question. Are the Corians spacefaring Jews? So he thinks the Corians are Jews in this case. Uh, and it says it's very clear that the Corians had Hebrew inspiration. The Kelish Corian language is trans translation of Ranak is walled garden. Gan Eden is a is a term used to refer to several Jewish versions of the afterlife. It literally means walled garden. The Corians harmstar is Tikkun. Tikkun Olam is a Hebrew phrase that means repairing the world or healing the world. Uh, the Koreans are banished from their home in the walled garden after making a fatal mistake that they knew they shouldn't have made in the first ri- first place. They created a super intelligent race that learned the difference between right and wrong after a higher authoritative power specifically made a law stating that that was not allowed, much like Adam and Eve. Uh, 
And one of the planets in the Tikkun system is called Haza. Afra Haza is Israel's singer and actress whose songs are inspired by Jewish culture. TLDR, yeah, they're totally Jewish. Uh, so they're Interesting. kind of gypsy, kind of Jewish. Jupsies is what somebody said. Jupsies. <laughs> or somebody said Jupsies. Well, I'm just thankful I'm not the only one that's noticed these things. No, I... I um... And I, I thought the Korean gypsy thing would be kind of a... Like, I think a lot of people would make that connection. Ways, though, like because somebody somebody else says, I think the stereotype they were going for is gypsies, as the Korean stereotypes is that they just go through a system and steal everything and just go away. <laughs> there you All go. Right. Yeah. Um. So there you go. Like, I I don't think that what you're asking or what you're saying is is bad specifically. <laughs> like, I I think when you design a world like mass effect you almost have to if you're creating races or space like you have to kind of put like our race like different races as mm -hmm. far as like well these hence the the ferengi like the jews of, like they are the jew they are the merchant you could imagine the ferengi going i want my pound of flesh right like that's mm -hmm. that's the type of like character that they bring about in Deep Space Nine, I'm trying to remember like the leader Ferengi. Is he's played by the inconceivable guy from Princess yeah. Bride? Like, and he was like the the big shot Ferengi. I don't remember. I don't think it. I don't know. I don't think that's the same character. I don't think it's the same actor. I just can't remember. No, it is. It absolutely is. Is it really? He's not like a. He's a reoccurring character, but he wasn't a main character. He wasn't like the main Ferengi in Deep Space Nine. You just you see him like like two or three episodes, I think. But well, so Armin Sherman is who it says played played Quarks, Quark, which is that is Quark the main Ferengi? It says he's the main Ferengi in Deep Space Nine. Yeah, he's not. It's not the main Ferengi. He's like, but like when this guy would like come visit. Like the guy who's actually in the show, the Ferengi that was in the show, was always like freaking out, like, "Oh, everything's got to be perfect," like, because this guy's coming to visit. But it was, and it just happens and, to be art, that yeah. the, the guy who plays him is Jewish too. So that, I but think it, that it was just like, enough. but it, whoever the, and like I said, it's he's played by the inconceivable guy from Princess Bride, and it was just like he was like super Jew. I don't remember. Like, yeah, listen to this: the major Ferengi characters on Deep Space Nine were all played by Jewish actors. <laughs> so like, I, that was done on on purpose. In America, people asked, "Do the Ferengi represent Jews?" In England, they asked, "Do the Ferengi represent the Irish?" In Australia, they asked, "If the Ferengi represent the Jews?" <laughs> Ferengi represent the outcasts. It's the person who lives among us that we don't fully understand. That in of itself, like again, like you know, I, I got to see this. So Princess Bride. Okay, so Wallace Shawn was that actor. Well, he's he's dead now, isn't he? I don't know. Uh, nope. He's still alive, at least according to IMDb. Okay. Uh, man, he's been in a lot of stuff. I, I remember he was even in Clueless. He was the teacher in Clueless. Oh, was he really? Yeah. It's been such a long time since I watched that movie. It's been a long time since I watched that movie too. I don't think I'd get into it if I tried to watch it now. He's I was Rex. He was Toy Story Rex. He was Toys Rex in Toy Story. I uh, I have never been able to get into Star Trek, but I did make it further in Deep Space Nine than any of the others. 
I got, think that's because I Deep started, Space Nine has a narrative. I started the third season of Deep Space Nine. I got through two okay. seasons of it. I couldn't get through one season of the original or Next Generation. Yeah, I, I've, I, I mean, I, now I have heard from other people that Next Generation, the first season, of Next Generation is kind of meh, and it picks up from there. But it's I don't know. I just I'm not a Trekkie. I am decidedly not a Trekkie. Well, okay, so here's the problems with Trek. Like honestly, Trek envisioned a world of where communism ruled and made it good and popular, right? <laughs> Suddenly people weren't want for money or anything else like that. And everybody was equal. Um, and you didn't have like uh, your basis of currency, so to speak, was how good of a person you were, right? It had nothing to do with how much wealth you had or anything like that, right? So um the problem, though, is the races themselves. So Earth people may have been equal, but the races themselves, the alien races were not equal. So how they were treated or whatever was all based upon like how how people felt about them. So the Romulans were the war criminals, essentially, the war path. Vulcans were highly enlightened, peaceful beings uh, that were descendants or part of the Romulan race, right? Um, and then... so. I think the other problem too is like, it doesn't really have like a narrative. Like there's no, each episode that you watch, there's no continuation. There's no Bible for the story. It's literally like, what are they going to do on this planet today? And it, it's kind of boring after a while. You're like, well, what's the overarching story? <laughs> Deep Space Nine, I think kind of changed that a little bit. So. I mean, I still wasn't able to, to, uh, Nagus, Grand Nagus, that's who he was called. The Grand Grand Nagus, that was. Mm -hmm. I see Zek in. Oh, that's that's not the same guy, is that? That absolutely it's, is. It's Zach, is it? I see Zek in IMDb. Wow. Inconceivable. <laughs> That's hilarious. That is great. Um, so yeah, I I'll go with you that uh, uh, the races of Mass Effect. Uh, when and I, and I can't think of like one for all of them, like the Batarians or Krogan or Turians. I can't really think of like one that they match. But yeah, I just given the impressions I got. Um, if you had to choose Krogan, what would you say? I couldn't even say like I. <laughs> uh, nothing comes to mind. Nothing, nothing out of your head. Okay, not like Koreans are. That, like I said, when I was saying like the Koreans gave me strong gypsy vibes. Okay. What about Turian? Couldn't get anything with Turian or the Elcor or just you know, like I said, it wasn't a one for one thing. It's just, I just got very strong stereotype vibes from certain things. Like, yeah. Well, the, I don't even, the Elcor just floating mass jellyfish. Like, that's Hanar. What are the Elcor? They're the big lumbering slow, like that talk in monotone voices and always. Oh yeah. Now it's here's a, your party. Like, so here, I, what are the other things? I love the humor in Mass Effect. 
And there was the thing like, and you hear about it in the first one is like, uh, Francis Kitt is the guy's name. So I get, he's some like Broadway producer and he decides to make Hamlet with an all Elcor cast. <laughs> and, uh, and the little like, cause you just hear about it in the news story in the first mass effect. He's That's like, right, yeah. Francis Kitt wanted humans or wanted to give people the ability to judge Hamlet based on his actions and not on his emotions. So it was just like, the actual dialogue of Hamlet, but with no emotional inflection whatsoever because it's Elcor. And then in the second one, you see a thing like for sale, the abridged Francis Kitt Elcor Hamlet. And he's like, or don't forget to see Hamlet live, the unforgettable 14 hour experience. And then I imagine sitting through 14 hours of Elcor, like, Elcor's the ones that are like inquisitive, right? They basically talk about what they're like. Yeah, yeah, they tell what emotion they're trying to get across. So okay, so there was here's here's actually something. Some guy came up with the idea that like each race depicts a very specific part of human nature or human society. So, for example, the Asari represent our diplomacy and sexuality. Solarians represent curiosity. Turians represent order. Krogans are our fighting nature. Hanar represent the religious side, which it's like, if you look at that, like it's true, like mm-hmm. they, they're very much like, uh, Drell represent willing servitude. So that's interesting. Um, the assassin represents servitude. Uh, Elcor represent emotion. <laughs> okay. I mean the exact opposite. <laughs> Volus represent our nature of trade and greed. So the Jews of space, there you go. Uh, <laughs> Koreans represent weakness and overcoming it through technology. I'm not. I'm gonna veto that one. Which one? Uh, Koreans. They represent weakness and overcoming it through technology. I could see that. Gath represent fear of our creations and what they could become. The Terrians represent our cruelty because they're basically the terrorists. Uh, they're they're the Islam- Islamic. Yeah, Islamic. I guess you could say yeah. The Batarians are the space Muslims. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Islamo-fascists. Uh, Vorcha represent our basic instinct. I can't remember what the Vorcha. What did the Vorcha look like? They weren't in it till two. You didn't see Vorcha until two. Oh, they're the they're the um, the vampire-like beings, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, sure. We'll Rakta go with that. represent our fear of the unknown. I don't. They're going way into this, so they're like. Yeah. Yag represent power and domination. Okay. I don't know. I don't remember the Yog. They are not. Um, there is one Yog and two, the Shadow Broker in DLC. And then you oh, see them. Looking one that you have to beat, right? That then, uh, what's the, her name? The big, the Shadow Broker. Yeah, the big bastard. And then you see some Yog on the Solarian planet in three. Okay. Protheans so, represent the search for our origins. Sure. Collectors re- represent what we believe to be the to be an. Uh, to be the unknown, and Reapers represent death. I'll go Reapers represent death. Sure. I don't know. Leviathons represent our true origins and a true unknown. Is Leviathan the uh, bad guy in Andromeda? No. Leviathan, well, the Leviathan was in a DLC of three. They are the original race that the Reapers are based off of. So It was a DLC, wasn't that? 
Yeah. It, essentially, right. what it comes down to is like Reapers are Leviathan husks. So, like the husks you fight, they're like, are, we're human. And then in the third game, like there's Batarian husks and Turian husks and everything like that. Mm-hmm. What Reapers actually are are basically Leviathan husks. Okay. So, the Leviathans created the AI, if I remember. Yes. Then they created the. Then they Citadel. basically. Felt and that the, the Leviathans were... So when the Reaper said, like, the Citadel and the Relays were their technology, that actually kind of... When Sovereign said that in the first one, yeah, it actually kind of wasn't true. It was actually the Leviathan's technology, sort of. Okay. So. But they destroyed the Leviathans because of... Like, they felt they were inferior, right? Well, it was... They designed an AI to solve a problem, and the Reaper phenomenon is the solution to the problem yeah that was the solution that was the conclusion the ai came to and it just so happened that the leviathans when they made the ai did not expect themselves to be part of the problem (laughs) so the ai turned on them but it wouldn't it didn't turn on them it just was fulfilling its programming yeah okay that's that uh anyway yeah that got a little weird. Uh, that kind of <laughs> reminded me of a, there's a fan theory about Archer that they, each one of them recommend, uh, recommended, represented a different deadly sin. Um, oh, that's cool. I think the only, like, uh, one of them was just, and is it Envy? So, like, Cyril was Lust, Archer was Pride, Lana was Wrath, Cheryl was Sloth, uh, Pam was gluttony. Um, uh, I can't remember his mother. Mallory was greed. And it was whatever other one is left. It just kind of, uh, I, I don't know if it like really translated perfectly, but I, I thought that was kind of funny. Like, like Archer is huh. the epitome of pride. Lana is the epitome of wrath. Cyril's the epitome of lust. Mallory's the epitome of greed. You know, uh, Pam's the epitome of gluttony. I, th- I thought that was kind of funny. Each one like represented a different deadly sin. Did, so, out of curiosity, is um, is Archer like did the new season of Archer come on? So, there's been a 12th season that came and went, and I have not seen it. I completely a 12th or a 13th season. The 13th is coming if it hasn't already started yet. I don't know off the top of my head because I'm not really paying attention to TV anymore. And I I, thought this they, is I supposed thought to be the last season. Well, this is supposed to be it. Okay. So, so it is okay. So it still exists. All right. That's why I thought they got rid of it. I didn't know that they uh, that they had kept it. Um, well, it's it's been really short for like four seasons now. It's only been like eight episodes long the season. Okay. All right. That's like uh, Rick and Morty. Like uh, the seasons just kind of come and go. Which I don't know if you've ever watched Rick and Morty or not. But you I saw it. the pilot. That's it. Out I drink of all the shows that exist in this world. I, I feel like you would love Rick and Morty just because yeah. the way that it makes fun of culture in general, and it doesn't care who it offends. Like, I just it, it was like what Family Guy was, right? Family Guy's just like I don't care. I just. Who I care so little about TV anymore. That's what uh, I care about Archer because I liked Archer, but again, a whole season of Archer came and went without me paying attention. So 
Well, I, just, well, I thought Archer was supposed to end on the last season. Like, I didn't know it was going to continue. Like, I thought, like, the death of Jessica, whatever her name is, um, would have been it, right? And then, Arch- and then Archer would have died. Like, they would have just killed the season after that. So, nope. And anyway, it's time for you to go to bed. I take it. It is. It's, it's getting in. We've yeah. been at this for just almost three hours. And I don't mm-hmm. know. Two hours and 15 minutes is what I got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, okay. 15. Yeah, okay. So, anyway. Yeah. There's All probably right. more we could have discussed. There's probably more I could always discuss about Mass Effect. But if, it's just how drilled down into details you want to get and things like that. But Yeah. Uh, we can always, did I we do, can always hit it back another day. So, that's not did I do it? Did I do a good job of saying why I really like this flawed series? I don't know. But. I think you did. I, I think I think people understand. Like out of anything, these the listeners will understand your like. You have a lot of passion for this one, so you know. Sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> and at least you at least like Mass Effect. We could have done this with Dark Souls or with you just dragging your feet the whole time. Oh, dude, I, I would have I would have smacked you over the head. I hate that <laughs> game. So, so. your loss. I, I know I know that you have a have a deep love for it, and you've explained that love for it in regards to the Lynchian. Um, well, it's just the vagueness of Lynch. Which now, by the way, I said that to you once. Ever since I watched that four-hour Twin Peaks explained video, uh, I have revised my statement on that. I don't okay. I no longer think that because one of the things is. At least according to Lynch, and Lynch is notoriously vague on his work, but he actually asserts that his work is not up for interpretation. That there's what? actually a, that Lynch asserts that his there's actually a very straightforward explanation for his work, and he's telling a very deliberate story. Is this the Twin Peaks actually explains? No, really, four hours, well, thirty five minutes. 30 yes, minutes. but it's it's just it's. Because in it, they talk about different interviews and stuff with Lynch. And again, he's very tight-lipped about his work. He doesn't talk about it. But he does say his work is not meant to be open to interpretation. He is telling a very deliberate story. And his word is straightforward. I would love to know what he feels is straightforward. Like... well, and, with, <laughs> and what you get right down to it, and I said, so the the channel, that channel, I do like that channel, by the way, that they did a four-hour explanation of Twin Peaks. They also did two one-hour follow-ups to it. One, really? like, going further into it, and one, like, countering, like, disagreements. Like, people who, like, said, oh, that's not true. It's about this, like, basically they were talking about. And they've done another video explaining uh, Holland Drive. The thing about David Lynch... <laughs> On. Sorry. So the thing about David Lynch is so obviously symbolism is very important in in thematic storytelling and in cinematic storytelling. Symbolism is important. Every director uses symbolism to some some extent. Even like big Hollywood blockbusters use some kind of symbolism somewhere. Yeah. The thing with David Lynch is his stuff. His work is all symbolism all the time. Mm-hmm. Everything yeah. in it is representative of something else. So in Twin Peaks. You can watch that video if you want. The very, very, very barely dipping my toe into the water here is that in Twin Peaks, there is no Twin Peaks. There is no Laura Palmer. There is no murder. 
There is no FBI agent. It's all, all symbolism. And Mulholland Drive was the same way. Everything in that movie is actually standing in for something else. So, and we we can't argue it obviously because I haven't watched it. We can't we can't discuss it too deep. But like, I feel like if you say that there is no murder, there's no FBI, there's none of that, then what's the real story? Right, because the story is supposed to be the murder of Laura Palmer. So the idea was, and again. And he discusses it. So when he came up with the idea of Twin Peaks, Twin Peaks was popular. It was in the 80s and everything like that. And this was the height of popularity for like your murder mystery shows, your your murder she wrote, your Columbo's, your Matlock's, and just kind of other shows that were like your murder of the week. Yeah. And David Lynch actually found it appalling that we drew entertainment from murder. And at the end, like, we just want to, because we love these mysteries. So the show, the appeal of the show is who done it, who done it, who done it, who done it, solve the murder. That the actual person that got murdered gets lost, and it's like, well, what was this person was a living, breathing person with wants and dreams and desires, and they're cut short, and you don't care. You just want to know who killed them, and it, like so, Twin Peaks was actually like an indictment of the of the fans, like of the TV watching audience Twin Peaks is pointing its finger at you. Like you're an awful person. You don't actually care about Laura Palmer. You just want to know who killed her. Oh, that's interesting. And Which, I wonder how that would play out in today's original true crime narrative. Originally David Lynch never intended for the murder to be solved originally. Yeah. yeah. And, like the, the, the reins got taken away from him and it brought ABC. it back. Yeah, he said it was the worst experience of his life because ABC essentially and, said, yeah. Which leads to another interesting thing because he does go into the third season of Twin Peaks on Showtime. He does cover that and he talks about that. Um, and it also, like, all of this stems like the origin of evil to David Lynch came in the 50s. It's basically it was with like broadcast TV or whatever, right? I don't remember exactly, so you'd have to watch that video. But so essentially, that's what Twin Peaks is actually about. Interesting. So yeah, if you ever set aside some time, or you know, I didn't watch it in one sitting, so you know. no, I, I wouldn't be able to watch it in one sitting. But but that sounds like a it's, it's worth the shot to at least watch it and then yeah, get a better idea. So I guess I would have never figured it that way, but that's kind of cool. Like. And it's almost like then Twin Peaks deserves another season based upon like our our want for this true crime narrative that we're always searching for on Netflix or whatever. Like again, like looking at the murderers, but not the murdered, not the victim. So, huh? And I just want to give because they did the channel, uh, Twin Perfect. I just wanted to give a shout out to the channel because you know I do like the channel. I think yeah. they did. I do I, think they, twin, yeah, Twin Perfect is the name of the channel. So if anybody's listening, <laughs> our twelve audience members, I just, I just wanted to give a shout out because I didn't want to just talk about their videos without giving them a shout out. Because I that maybe it's right, maybe it's wrong, but they put a lot, they put a lot of work into that Twin Peaks explained video. So you know, give them a shout out. I feel like they we did do, do a, a, another like 
Twin Peaks episode or something. He did do, uh, they also did a three part series in defense of Batman v Superman. That was interesting. No way. Um, yep. Anyway. You know what? Our next podcast should be in defense of the spider in the Snyderverse, the Spider-Verse. In, in defense okay, of the, the Spider-Verse. Okay. Especially since I saw Black Adam this weekend. What's your three-word opinion? Too much action. <laughs> uh, like I'll make it as brief as possible. You need a break. Like as an audience member, you need a moment to like catch your breath. And, but it was like, here's Black Adam and punching starts, right? And then all of a sudden, you know, there people are talking for like a minute or two and then more punching starts. And then people are talking for a minute or two and more punching starts. And you're almost kind of like, you, you've been brought up, this action has been here. And the only way to kind of keep the action rising is just make a, a, a worse villain, Right. Just make somebody more difficult to defeat. And after a while, you're just like, this is getting kind of boring. That's mm. my that's my take on it. On that, it's not a bad film, and The Rock did a really good job. Not that different from uh, Thorias, Thorias Unlimited. He does a uh, he did it. His review of Black Adam was very similar. Yeah. So. Okay. That's good to know. At least I'm on the same page as people like real critics. I guess you could call them. So if you could call him a real critic, but I do. I mean. <laughs> I, I pay more attention to like him and drinker than I ever did to like Ebert. Yeah. I would be interested to hear what the drinker has to say. Like honestly, once I don't, uh, he hasn't talked about stuff like that. He's, he's been spending a lot of time on the rings of power, but whatever. Mm. <laughs> All right. Well, All right. I think we need to call it a night. So yep. John can get to bed. Yeah. Uh, it's been fun. Yeah. So, um, Guys, I'll just, uh, I'll just we'll be done, and I'll think of ten things I wanted to say, but that's just life. Next, I said, next podcast, you can literally open with those ten things, write them down. Yeah, okay. Like, These are the things I wanted to say. All right, <laughs> all right, cool. All right, well, this, I'm I'm Steve, and I'm John, and this has been Quixotic. Thanks, guys.